0: Now, it's time for the Broken Sea Audio Production, OTR
1: Swagcast.
0: Welcome back to the Swagcast. This is Bill Holwig, live here in West Texas, and sorry for the long, extended delay since our last Swagcast episode that I did, which was, I don't know, back in June of last year sometime. Anyway, lots of strange happenings in the real world got in the way of making fun stuff like the OTR Swagcast, changes of jobs, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I won't bore you with all that, just happy to be back. And swagging it up, getting rid of hiss everywhere I can in old time radio shows and showcasing shows that just simply fire my imagination and are better than anything on TV these days. I'd rather listen to old time radio, whether it's suspense, escape, CBS RMT, Vanishing Point. Oh my god, I could go on and on and on. Here I go, I'm going on and on and on. Much less Temple of Vampires. The Avengers from South Africa. Oh my goodness. Oh, Not to mention all the new audio in the free audio realms. Or Lothar and all his cool stuff with the sword of the crimson tatters and his upcoming promise line and God knows what else coming from Lothar's pen and mixing vats. By the way, he rocks. Need I bring up Mark Cleet the master of all things audio and the man who out Roddy McDowell as well as John Huston in Planet of the Apes? Much less, he is Doctor Who more so than anybody, even more so than Tom Baker, which almost seems like I shouldn't say that, but he is. And Stevie Farnaby, the master of mixing, the master of modeling, the man behind the mixed gold that is Escape from New York. And then we have David Sokoyak, who brought us X-Files, as well as he plays Hartford and Jake Sampson, my God, and Dave's writing books. And then there's Paul Mannering, the scribe, the guru, man who has published books out in the world, much less he's mixed some great episodes, like zombie cheerleaders, early episodes of Logan's run, and the list goes on from what Paul Mannering can do, much less he's a great actor. All these guys are just great friends of mine. Need I say, I also want to thank all our voice actors and everything else, but if I go on and on, this intro for Swagcast will go on and on. So I'm thanking everyone at Broken Sea, Sorry to have taken so long, and now on with the first episode of this year's swagcast. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. Anyway, decided to come up with some themes for each episode. It'll make the shows as long as my esoteric themes come in, but let, let me just say this. Do not mix Carcarodons, water, the Caribbean, and well, strange tales of OTR that make sense in my head and even better sense in my ears. So I hope you enjoy the show. Again, this is Bill Holwick, live from West Texas. Hope you enjoy the OTR Swagcast. The episodes in tonight's show are the testing of Stanley T. Garden. <laughs> from The Vanishing Point, The Witch's Tale, The King Shark God. And another from The Vanishing Point, The Black Serpent. And from E.G. Marshall and the CBS Radio Mystery Theater, from 1979, an episode entitled The Great White Shark. And finally, from the master of all things audio, as well as macabre in films, audio, you name it, Vincent Price, The Price of Fear, his episode tonight, Fish. Beware piscivores. <laughs> now on with the show. The Vanishing Point is the title of a science fiction and horror anthology series that ran on CBC Radio from 1984 until 1986. Although the show would continue under different names and formats, a descriptive intro declared The Vanishing Point was the point between reality and fantasy. The series was produced by Bill Lane in the CBC's Toronto studios. The show was known for broadcasting a wide array of horror stories mixed with science fiction. It eventually ended, sadly, having a total of 95 episodes and managing to offend censors the world over. That's why I like it. Hope you enjoy.
2: tea garden is going on a little holiday. He needs a rest. But even on holiday, Stanley is always on the alert, always ready for the test. After all, it can happen anywhere, anytime. But is Stanley really ready for the biggest test of his life? Will he recognize the signs, the clues, Will you, or like Stanley, will you step blindly through that point of no return, through the vanishing point?
3: I like mechanics magazines. False. I have a good appetite. True. I think I would like the work of a librarian. True. I am easily awakened by noise.
4: Can you see the island yet?
3: Huh? Which island?
4: Jamaica.
3: Of course, Jamaica. Uh, no, we're kind of over the wing
5: you lucky so-and-sos. Air Canada Flight 101 will be landing at Donald Sangster International Airport in approximately 10 minutes.
6: The temperature in Montego Bay is 30 degrees Celsius on the clear skies.
4: Uh, that's what I wanted to hear. Sounds great. <laughs> this your first time? <laughs>
5: Jamaica.
4: Oh,
3: yes. But I've read a great deal on the Caribbean. Well, believe me, the
4: brochures don't tell the whole story.
3: Oh. No, I suppose that's true.
7: Do
4: you come here often? <laughs> oh, sure. Whenever we can. Remember
7: now, it's a net, isn't it? I remember all the stewardesses. You must know me.
4: That's okay, what's my, my friend name? Johnson. Come on, what's my name? Uh, bothering the stewardesses. Johnson. Uh, I'm
7: sorry. Don't you remember,
4: I've interrupted handle, right? your concentration. It's all right. Thank you very much.
3: The I'm attendant would have well, been well, by in a moment anyway.
4: Right. I'm sorry, sir. That briefcase come must on. be placed under the seat. Yes,
7: exactly. Bring me another one. Call me Johnson & Johnson. Bring me two. This is a working uh, vacation. Hey. No. Hey, Annette, I was just trying to tell these guys... I uh, am you over over that guy, guy. I've been uh, trying
4: to peek over your shoulder ever since we left Toronto. What are those forms you're working on? Something important?
3: No, just forms.
4: Oh. Whoa,
7: whoa, whoa, whoa. excuse me. Excuse me. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Excusez-moi. Here he comes. <laughs> Three sheets to the wind.
4: Whoo. <laughs> Light. <laughs> oh, hi, Johnson. This is Stanley uh, T. Garten. Stan,
7: uh, Stan. Pleased to meet yeah, you. Pleased to meet you. Pal. I'm Rose. Pleased to meet you, Rose. Now, where did I leave that lighter?
4: Hey, the warning light's going to go on any minute. Damn! See, what did I tell
3: you? You have quite a well-developed sense of anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it like that before. So, where are you staying, Stan? I'm flying on to Kingston. I was kind of thinking I'd stay in a place called the Old Titchfield in Port Antonio. Ouch. But I hadn't made any reservations. Is
4: there something... Well, more, it's uh, very
3: quiet. Uh, it's
7: very old. Old is the operative word when you're talking about the Old Titchfield. Oh.
4: But it's very lovely. I mean,
7: really. Yeah, especially if you got work to do. Yeah. Oh, are, are you a writer? Oh, no.
3: I don't really have any work to do. Maybe you have a better suggestion.
4: Stan, the Titchfield's very relaxed, but kind of starchy you know
7: <laughs> the fact is stan the south shore is dead yeah. dead, dead? you yeah, know why did you stop off at mo bay <laughs> montego <laughs> bay
4: we stay at the holiday inn
7: well I, I don't know hey no trouble with rooms not this time of year you
4: probably have other plans not really no, but maybe you were hoping for a little peace and quiet right
7: I suppose. Oh hell! Why don't you give it a try for a day or two? You can always go down to the South Shore later. Such a nice trip through the interior.
4: Johnson, you're being a bully. Oh,
3: no. I know. Perhaps he's right. Sometimes it's good to do something different for a change. That is, if you sure you don't mind.
5: Us? Uh, no, not at What's there to about. mind? Mesdames nous approchons de l'aéroport international de Voulez-vous éteindre vos cigarettes?
7: Geez,
4: You're sure it's okay? Hey, don't mind him. He hates landings.
7: No, what I hate <laughs> is customs. Mm.
4: <laughs> you, you should see him. He looks like he really is
7: smuggling something. <laughs> Come on, let's get it over with.
4: Well, really, John,
3: Once in a while, I put off until tomorrow what I ought to do today. True. I do not mind being made fun of. False. <laughs> Much of the time, I feel as if I have done something wrong or evil. True. My hardest battles are with myself.
7: Yeah, there's Rose now. See? Straight uh, out, straight up. Straight uh, oh, oh. Yes, yes. Wow, can that woman swim?
3: She should be careful.
7: Hey, it's only water. You like her, Stan? Oh, uh, yes. She's very nice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, that's Rose. Nice girl. Time to close up shop, eh? Excuse me? It's your briefcase. Don't you go anywhere without it?
3: (sighs) It's a little test, that's all. Just something to pass the time.
7: Stan. Are you having any fun at all?
3: Why, yes. I think
7: I am. Ooh, Rose was kind of wondering. Oh, uh, George. John... Hey, look, I'm sorry about the Holiday Inn being full, pal, but that place up the beach looks pretty nice. What's that called again?
3: The Outlook Inn. Yeah, the Outlook Inn. It's yeah. fine. I've been meaning to invite you over. Yeah? I could mix up some drinks.
7: Hey, that would be great. Hey, 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 look who is here. Hi. you gorgeous. Oh, Oh, <gasps> Oh, please. Yeah, here you are. Oh, thanks. We thought maybe you were heading for Cuba. You shouldn't
3: swim so far out. You could get pregnant.
7: What? Pregnant. <laughs> Don't laugh.
3: See that little speck of an island out there? Yeah. No. You, you can see it from my room. It's the island of the dead. Uh, every now and then, the spirits swim home to the mainland to
4: impregnate
3: the young women. Oh, <laughs> Stan. Well, where else do babies come from?
4: <laughs> oh. oh, you haven't been reading the same brochures I have. <laughs> oh, Stan, you crack me up. So, what do the men do around here? Oh, they have their function.
3: They open things up, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Crack the ice, you mean. <laughs> I suppose.
7: Well, that's great. Just great. Hey, and uh, speaking of ice, the sun is over the yard arm. Anyone for a drink? No, thanks. No,
4: no, let me dry off a bit first, okay? Anyway, I want to pester Stanley a bit. Keep him from working on his mysterious form.
7: Oh, well, so... you better watch him. It's a test. Oh, so... You
4: broken down at last?
7: Oh, nothing physical, just made him feel rotten, Hey, you pal? Know? Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Pregnant. <laughs> well, we'll see you guys later. Bye, Johnson. Bye. <sighs> Test, eh? Sort of.
4: Oh, that sun feels so good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
3: what are you laughing at
4: uh, I feel so sleepy maybe I am pregnant all that swimming <laughs>
3: Johnson would make a fine father hmm nothing
4: this test either test store or the testee? Hmm?
3: Both, I guess. I love my mother. True. At times, I can make up my mind with unusually great ease. True. Once I get started on something, I always see it through. False. I like movie love scenes.
4: Coming. Hi.
3: Hi. Oh, where's Johnson?
4: Uh, He's gone for cigarettes. May I...
3: Oh, please come in. Here, let me take your coat.
4: (laughs) This is all there is. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is nice.
3: Yes, it is quite comfortable.
4: You know that spiel about the best surprise is no surprise? Our air conditioning is haywire. The place is an icebox.
3: That's terrible. I just have these overhead fans. They don't Mm -hmm. do much. I uh, mixed up some drinks. Hmm. Here you go. It's my own recipe. Hmm.
4: Green. (laughs) Uh, What do you call it?
3: Tequila Mockingbird.
4: Oh, Oh. Oh, you are full of surprises. (laughs) I like to mix drinks. (laughs) What else do you like to do?
3: Oh, uh, you know, movies.
4: You like to do tests, right? How's it going? Oh, fine. Now, don't tell me you're going to bring it to dinner. Oh, no, I
3: I was just whiling away the time.
4: (laughs) You a psychologist? I caught a glimpse over your shoulder. What's so funny?
3: Well, it's just you and Johnson. I never meant to be so mysterious.
4: Oh, but you are Stanley T. Garden. It was the first thing that attracted me to you.
3: I am kind of enjoying the attention. No, I'm not a psychologist. I do some psychometry, psychological measurement in my line of work.
4: Ah, Which is?
3: I'm in personnel for a large insurance outfit. Not so very mysterious.
4: So this is a working vacation after all.
3: I guess it must look that way. Look, let me show you something. Sure. This is the good old MMPI.
4: Oh, of course. The what?
3: The Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory.
4: Oh. It's uh, sort of like an IQ.
3: Vaguely. More than that.
4: My people treat me more like a child than an adult. And
3: you fill in true or false on a separate sheet like this.
4: Hey, I did something like this once. What was it now? um, Which would you rather do? Make love to a beautiful woman or keep your desk neat and tidy. (laughs) Stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that
3: sounds more like the EPPS, the Edwards Personal Preference Schedule. It's a forced choice.
4: It's no choice at all.
3: The MMPI is different. It's not perfect, of course. No? I sometimes think, wouldn't it be great... If there was a machine that could measure the graphic density of a person's response. Uh-huh. I mean, how hard he presses on the pencil as he fills in true or false. Uh-huh. A machine that could measure the act itself. I see. The act is the real test.
6: Oh,
4: and you're designing this machine?
3: No. It's just a thought. Oh.
4: So this MMPI is, is sort of a hobby, hmm?
3: I guess. May I freshen your drink?
4: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm
3: this is boring you
4: <laughs> not at
3: all see I like to test myself to see how I'm doing every now and then are you getting any better? oh it's not like that if the test works and I believe it can here you are thanks it depends on being consistent over time
4: you mean you don't change? of course I change we all change hey I was just teasing you Stanley I'm sorry
3: I'm a little touchy about this
4: hey Stan is only test. a test
3: I know but it's really a kind of preparation for the real test. The
4: real test? Out here. Life. You know what I mean? Oh, I've got an idea. Oh, wow, look. What a view.
3: Oh, do you want to go out there?
4: Oh, isn't the air down here something else? Hmm? Hey, you can see clear to the north end of the beach. See that grove? Yes. After sunset, the dreadlocks gather down there. Have you seen them?
3: No. I don't get out much at night.
4: Oh, cheer up, Stan. Are you sorry you didn't go on to Port Antonio?
3: No, I'm not sorry. It might have been quieter, easier. Should I take that personally? Oh, no. It's just that I'm used to being alone.
4: Oh, I hate to be alone you ever noticed how you can be alone in the middle of a crowd? I feel like that sometimes. Funny, though, I never feel like that with Johnson. That's why I like to travel with him.
3: He's a lot of fun.
4: Tell me more about Stanley Teagarden.
3: You can find him in that briefcase over
4: there. Oh, no, 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 no. You, Stan.
3: You mean the real
4: thing? Yes. I want to get to know you. So do I. <laughs> oh I've never met anyone like you.
3: There's a crowd gathering up the beach away, see?
4: Okay, okay. Near the grove.
3: I've got binoculars here.
4: Oh, been watching the birds, eh? Something seems to have washed up on the tide. Oh, yeah? Where? Some kind of large fish or something. Oh, can I see? Here, here. Uh, it's hard to tell. Everyone's pressing in. Oh, yuck. Mm. Oh, now I see it. Oh, it's a shark, I think. Or a wasp. God, it looks like it blew up. What are you looking at now? Huh? Oh, oh I'm just looking for that island you mentioned. I can't see it.
3: The light's deceptive this time of day.
4: Oh, these glasses are strong. Hey, I can see the Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One, two, three, four. There's our room. Let me look at the shark. Sure. I, oh, oh, wait a, wait a second. Well, can you beat that? What's happened? We've been stood up. Johnson's down there gaping at the dead shark with all the little boys. Sleaze. Are you sure? Are you disappointed? No. Here, take a look. i just go and freshen up. Then I, I guess we might as well head down for dinner.
8: Yes.
3: Okay.
4: I'll uh, just be a moment. I'll be here. i <laughs> My head is down, my, my something's turning, turning around. around. I gotta leave a little,
3: leave girl, a little girl in. in go big town. town. <laughs> yeah.
4: huh.
3: But look how far we've come. Oh, isn't it
4: gorgeous?
3: There's no one around.
4: Let's just walk all night. I can never get Johnson to do
3: that. I'm getting kind of tired.
4: Come on, spoil sport. Why? Why?
9: Oh, Stan.
4: Has anyone ever told you you have a way with words? We've moved that shark. <laughs> yep. I bet people tell you that all the time. It was just around here. <laughs> yes, you can still see the marks. Poor old sharky. Let's sit for a minute. Oh, yuck. Not here. I'm bushed. Well, okay. Over here. Come on, Stan. Not so far away. That's better.
3: I wonder what happened to Johnson.
4: Oh, he's probably out strutting his stuff. Won't he be wondering about you? Oh, not Johnson. There's a cruise ship in tonight.
3: You knew he wasn't coming to dinner, didn't you?
4: Nope, not at all. Not until you saw him on the beach? Well... I had my suspicions. So did I. Oh, Stan. Did you think... Johnson and I are just pals. We travel together. Sometimes it's easier to meet people that way. Oh, come on. You knew that.
3: No, I did not know that.
4: No, I guess you didn't.
3: I am very careful about the way I dress. I would never have guessed.
4: Oh, some psychologist, Sometimes.
3: you turned that to me. I God. have the same dream over and over and over No, I am not a psychologist. I never said I was a psychologist.
4: No, I can't. Hey, Stan, you okay? I've often been frightened in the middle of the night. What are you thinking? You seem so far away.
3: Your traveling companion. No, I, I was thinking of my own traveling companion. Hmm?
4: Your test.
2: Hmm. The test.
4: Well, while we're on the subject, what would you rather do? Tidy your desk or make love to a beautiful woman?
1: Hmm?
3: I told you that was the Edwards' personal preference schedule. I know,
4: I know. I know. <laughs> I'm changing tests in midstream, and it's a forced choice.
3: I have had periods in which I lost sleep over the worry... I am apt to pass up something I want to do, because others feel I am not going about it in the right way.: Stand. I usually have to stop and think before you I am blurry. Even in trifling.: I' sick. I often feel as if things were not real. Almost every day, something happens to frighten
4: me.: Can I speak to you? What happened? You look so pale hear it what it seems so loud you were so close do you have these moments often
3: i'm ridiculous to someone like you or johnson aren't i
4: not ridiculous odd maybe but i like that about you odd a little full of yourself perhaps
3: obsessive compulsive
4: it's funny it was your quietness which attracted me to you on the plane There was Johnson off chatting up the stewardesses and there was I feeling kind of cozy, as if I was meant to be with you, not him. I felt like I was somehow wrapped up in what you were doing. I feel like I want to crawl right in under your skin.
3: There isn't room left inside me.
4: Like you said, I'm full of myself. Yeah, I didn't mean it that way. But you were right. There's a cure for everything. Is there? You could always try tidying up your desk. That isn't really the correct
3: wording, you know. Hmm? It should be, A, I like to keep my things neat and orderly on my desk or workspace, or B, I like to be in love with someone of the opposite sex.
4: It was a joke, Stanley.
3: Where is Johnson, reading? Really?
4: What is this? Hey, listen, can a girl find you interesting? That's what I'd like to find out. Let's walk a little. Uh, maybe maybe we could score some ganja from the dreadlocks. We could do with a little cooling out. Why don't we just
3: uh, go back to my room?
4: Oh, Stan. We
3: can't go back to your room, not with the air conditioning in a blink.
4: What's gotten into you? I
3: thought you wanted me a minute ago.
4: I never said that. Oh, boy. Stan, uh, well, let's walk some more. Get to know each other.
3: Now I know all I have to, thank you.
4: Oh, thanks.
3: Well, let's just say that I can see through your little plan. What? Well, let's just walk a little further. Just far enough so that the outlook in is effectively out of sight.
4: Stan, I don't know if this is Johnson one of your... Johnson wouldn't be
3: such a fool as to turn on all the lights, but you can never be too safe. Anyway, he'll have to use a flashlight at least to make the transfer.
4: This isn't an act, is it? You
3: two always manage to find some kook you can manipulate, don't you? Some uh, fruitcake who unwittingly gets to carry the goods back home.
4: Do you take turns? Excuse me,
3: but I'm going home. Hey, does Johnson replace the briefcase or just do a little surgery on it? It is the briefcase, isn't it? Hey, come back here. Oh, you no, oh, you're
1: hurting
10: my arm.
3: It is the briefcase, isn't it? Now, don't think I have noticed all the attention you two lavished on my briefcase. I don't know what you're talking it's about. ice,
10: isn't it? What? Ice
3: from Venezuela. Ice? What are you saying? All that talk on the beach about cracking the ice. A little in-joke. Diamonds. <laughs> don't play stupid with me.
4: Whatever I did to hurt you, I'm sorry. Ice, now that's really, what
3: gave I- me the clue. Oh, I was on to you from the start. The way you conned me into coming here in the first place. The bit about how much Johnson hates customs. Now, I knew you were up to something. I just wasn't sure what or how. Oh,
7: God, you're crazy. You were always
3: checking to make sure how much I knew whether I was on to you. No, no. And then tonight... The way you dragged me out onto the balcony so we'd see Johnson and he'd see us. You've got
4: this all wrong. No.
3: (laughs) You and Johnson have got me all wrong.
4: Okay, there was some kind of conspiracy between me and Johnson. It was just him trying to help me to get to know you better. Precisely. How the hell is he supposed to get in your place anyway? Oh,
3: come on now. A man like Johnson? Ow! let go me, please! <laughs> oh, no, you don't. This persons, this, this is, is the test. trying to uh, the It's t- 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 uh, say insulting uh, and vulgar things about me. So i not so uh, feel uneasy indoors. True. I believe I am a condemned person. True. True. I love to go to dances. <laughs> Everything I say. windstorm terrifies me. True. Peculiar odors come to me at times that don't pull. It should be beefed up in mind. one thing. Sometimes I easily become impatient. I become so excited that I find it hard to get to sleep. Sometimes I hear so well it bothers me. Some I am not afraid of mice. That's one get like Oh, you were better than most i mean it took a long time to figure out what you wanted what you were up to you know fit the pieces together you couldn't have fooled me i'm too prepared i've done all the tests rose all of them oh god oh. Don't, don't, don't cry I'll go along with it. (gasps) I'll pretend there's nothing in my case. You'll see. Customs Uh won't even check. I (laughs) won't cry. Look, Rose. There's a light in my room. Can you see it?
4: Maybe you left it on Stanley.
3: No, look. See? Count up the floors, Rose. There, in the northwest corner.
2: (laughs) Yes, Rose. Was the light on in Stanley's room? Rose didn't see a light. But maybe she hadn't counted high enough. Or maybe she was too afraid to see the light. In any case, it was wise of her not to argue too strenuously. Stanley was right there beside her, but... He was also a million miles away, on the other side of the vanishing point. The Testing of Stanley Garden by Tim Wynn-Jones Tom Hoff was heard as Stanley, Diana Belshaw as Rose, and Michael Hogan as Johnson, with Marie-Hélène Fontaine as the airline hostess. The voice of introduction was David Calderisi. Technical operations were by Brian Pape, with sound effects by Stephanie McKenna, and the production assistant was Nina Callahan. The casting consultant was Ann Tate with Catherine Castor, and the series script editor is Sandra Rabinovich. The testing of Stanley Teagarten was produced at Studio G in Toronto by series executive producer William Lane.
0: The Witch's Tale was a horror fantasy radio series which aired from March 21, 1931, the same year as Universal Films' Dracula, until June 13, 1938. Hmm, Jake Sampson is in the year 1938 presently. But I digress. It was produced for W.O.R., the Mutual Radio Network, and in syndication. The program was created, written, and directed by Alonzo Dean Cole. Cole's spooky show was hosted by Old Nancy, the Witch of Salem, who introduced a different terror tale each week. The role of Old Nancy was created by stage actress Adelaide Fitzallen, who died in 1935 at the age of 79. Thirteen-year-old Miriam Wolfe and Martha Wentworth was also heard as Old Nancy on occasion. Cole himself provided the sounds of Old Nancy's cat Satan. Cole's wife, Maria Flynn, portrayed the lead female characters on the program, and the supporting class included Mark Smith and Alan DeVitt. For syndication, the shows were recorded live during broadcast and distributed to other stations. These recordings, sadly, were destroyed by Cole in 1961, so few episodes survived. Cole was also the writer, producer, and director of the radio mystery crime drama, *Casey Crime Photographer. In November of 1936, Alonzo Dean Cole edited The Witch's Tale magazine. With lead story by Cole, it ran for only two issues. So enjoy and let old Nancy lead the way to The Witch's Tale. The
11: Witch's Tale.
12: The fascination of the eerie, weird, blood-chilling tales told by old Nancy, the witch of Salem, and Satan, her wise black cat. They are waiting, waiting for you,
11: now.
13: 108-year-old I be today, yes the 108-year-old. Well, Satan, tell these folks to douse their life. That's it. Make it nice and dark and cheerful while you listen to our soothing little bedtime stories. Draw up to the fire and gaze into the embers, gaze into them deep. And soon you'll see a boat that's coasting off the shores of the island's highway. Oh, highway. (laughs) Where the flowers are finest perfume and weeds are rankiest poison. Where there's happiness and life and sunshine. And where there's darkness, fear and death. Highway. That's the fitting for our pretty tale. we call the King Shot God. <laughs> the King Shot <Shark> God. <laughs>
12: Roy, just look at this bay we're coming into. That beach, there's mountains in the distance.
11: Get out of that chair and look. Oh, I'm more comfortable sitting here within reach of a drink. Me, that bay is just Mayokona Harbour. we will get off this boat and drive to Kohala. I've lived in these islands for three long years, you know. i if you spent a lifetime here, I wouldn't understand how you would be so bored. Why, this, this is God's country. Ten to one, you'll be fed up with the place before I was. Your capacity for enjoyment is handicapped by a lot of morals. Well, I, having no morals, have managed to keep a degree of interest. Thanks to the very pretty women here. Women and pineapples are two products for which a way can't be beaten. So I understand. You'll be chump enough to only appreciate the pineapples. (laughs) Lord, how time changes a fellow. When you used to play hooky from school back in San Francisco, who'd ever have dreamt that you'd become a missionary? When I saw you step off the boat in Honolulu wearing a black suit and with a Bible sticking from your pocket... I nearly dropped dead. Well,
12: I thought the clerical black would probably impress you with my new
11: dignity, so wore it purposely and nearly roasted. I noticed you lost no time in changing to white when we reached the hotel. Now, you look like a human being again. Thanks. You know, I wonder if becoming a preacher hasn't just been a change of clothes for you. I wonder if you're not still a the underneath. Well, what about you? Ever
12: since we had our reunion three days ago, you tried to shock me with tales of your gambling and drinking and your love affairs. I wonder if that's not mostly clothes, and if you're not still the good little boy you used to be in school.
11: No, I'm living now as I always wanted to live. I simply lacked the nerve to be myself back home, where people knew me. Out here, nothing matters, but to have a good time, the easiest way you can get it. I wonder how long it'll take those islands to bring out your real self, as they brought out mine. I think I've discovered my real self. I wonder.
1: <laughs>
11: when we were kids, you used to like the girls. Wait till we get to Kahala and you get an eyeful of my Irene. I'll bet she makes you forget you came here to save souls. Your Irene? Oh no, don't prepare to get shocked. Everything's perfectly proper. Matter of fact, this girl's so straight laced, I'm thinking of making her Mrs. Cole. But you're planning to be married. Mm-hmm. May I ask you to tie the knot for us?
12: You've never mentioned this before. Oh, Roy, you were only fooling when you told me those wild tales of your dissipations. You were just trying to get my goat. Why didn't you tell me you were engaged?
11: Because I just made up my mind over this last bottle of rum. And I wasn't kidding about the other girls. This one simply got me going, so I'll do anything to get her. I go back to the States. Divorce won't be much trouble. You you mean you marry with divorce already in your mind? You wouldn't expect me to go back to California married to a half-caste.
12: A half-caste?
11: Mm-hmm. But you'd never guess it in a million years to meet her. She's blonde as you are, speaks English like a vassal scholar. Her name's Irene McGlynn. Yet her mother's a full-blooded connecter. And you'd wreck her life by would only do what the average white man does when he's stuck in a backwoods native village for any length of time. Those who say this, they married. Those who go home, go home alone. That's how Irene's father went. <laughs> only he'd been better off if he hadn't. He fell overboard before his ship cleared Maratona Harbor, and a shard got him. Say old Kalima, that's Irene's mother, put a curse on <laughs> Need Natives believe in such punk curses here. Oh, that means we're not in a few minutes. Come on, oh, let's get our baggage together. Yes, I'm
12: anxious to get ashore, and to
11: Kohala. Hey, you wouldn't tell Irene what I just said.
12: Do you think I'd allow you to harm anyone so horribly when it's in my power to prevent it? The moment we reach Kohala, I'm calling on that girl.
11: Hey, Whit, come back here. Whit, take your hands away. Let me go. No, you've got to listen. I didn't mean a word. I said it was a joke, Whit. Just a joke. A joke? Yes, to get your goat to shock you. <laughs> and you swallowed every word. I was only kidding. I'm mad about that girl. Look, I'm so much in love that I even carry a lock of her hair in my watch. She keeps a lock of mine about her. I wouldn't do her any harm. I swear I was only kidding.
12: You could kid, as you did, about someone you really care for. Was
11: it was in rotten taste, I know. I wanted to shock you. Oh, I've been drinking too much today. The liquor made me forget I was going too far. Oh, you won't say anything to Irene when you meet her. Promise you won't.
12: I'm not sure you're telling me the truth right.
11: Yes, I am honest. Like we used to say as kids, cross my heart and hope to die. All right, I believe you. I knew you would. Oh, what are they shouting about back there? Oh, guess they've sighted a shark. Oh, where? I've never seen one. Everyone's running toward the stern. If you want to look, come on. Yeah. I see it. Yeah, and it's a big one, a man-eater. What the natives call a man No, no. That shark, no man That shark, Kamahualai. What did that connector say? Oh, he corrected me. He said that the fish was no ordinary man but Kamahualai, the king shark god. King Shark God. Yes, some of these dumb connecters worship sharks. Still do, I guess. Oh, they're full of crazy superstitions. Say, is that thunder? Thunder? Can't you hear it? I don't hear a thing except those people about us. Funny. I hear it. Now it's growing louder. Roy, your, your face is white as a sheet. What's wrong? I, I feel suddenly dizzy. Too much liquor, I suppose. Well, let me help you to a chair, old man. Oh, no, I'm all right. You still don't hear any thunder? No. I wonder what's the matter with me. Oh, you better sit down. Come on. No, oh, no. I wish that thunder would stop roaring in my head. It's like a voice, a voice that's calling me, calling from the water, calling louder, always louder, Roy. It is a voice that's calling, a voice I've got to answer. Come back here, Roy. Stop that man. He's climbing on the rails. Oh, stop him, oh, Roy. I've got to answer. <laughs>
14: And that was the last we saw of Roy, Dr. Rainey. Or of the huge shark. Just blood and rippling water. Your introduction to Hawaii hasn't been a very happy one, Mr. Mason. No, it all seemed so beautiful. And then... Doctor, you saw a lot of Roy during the years he spent here in
12: Kahala. Was the insanity that caused him to jump overboard a sudden thing? Or had you noticed indication that his
14: mind was affected? You think insanity was responsible for Roy's death? Of course, it's the only explanation. I've told you how he acted just before. He heard thunder that called him, you said? Yes. Mr. Mason, did Roy say anything to you about a woman? Why, he mentioned a number of women. Yeah, knowing his nature, I have no doubt of that. But did he speak of a particular girl here in Kohala, a half-caste girl named Irene McLennan? Yes. Was he planning to play her some sort of a dirty trick?
10: Why
14: do you ask that? Because Irene McGlennon's father jumped off a boat for no apparent reason when he planned to play a dirty trick on Irene's mother. And a shark got him just as one got Roy Caldwell. Roy told me that story. The coincidence hadn't occurred to me before. There have been several coincidences connected with the McLennans. Before Roy, two other young white men who were interested in Irene met mysterious deaths in shark-infested waters. What are you driving at, Doctor? Mr. Mason, only 160-odd years ago, this land was unknown to white men and what we call civilization. Oh, with help from the Chinese and Japs, we've done a lot to it in a short time. May heaven forgive us. But we haven't yet destroyed all that was here before we came. I'm afraid I don't understand you. And you won't until you learn these islands for yourself. I think you're a human being in spite of your black broadcloth. Take an old sinner's advice and keep away from Irene McGlennan. I'm here in Kohala to preach the gospel, Doctor. Not to become interested in any woman. Stick to those principles and you'll be all right. Otherwise... Do you know what taboo means? It's a native word that means forbidden. Exactly. I'm going to tell you what Roy Caldwell knew and didn't heed. This girl's mother is in a wild. She's a priestess of the old gods and the old order, which our civilization has only touched. The man she loved gave her cause to hate his race. And the connectors say Irene, her daughter, is taboo to white men. <laughs>
6: May I say how much I enjoyed your sermon, Mr. Mason?
12: Miss MacLennan, I'm so glad to see you.
6: I'm flattered that you remember me. We've only met once before, you know, when you and Dr. Rainey brought me the news about poor Mr. Coldwell.
12: I hope you've recovered from the terrible shock of that news.
6: Your inspiring sermons have helped me to forget. I felt as though you talked directly to me from the pulpit. I,
12: I have. You haven't been out of my mind a single moment since I met you. I mean, when I've seen you and your mother in church, I hoped I could help you forget, poor Roy.
6: I understand. Oh, you haven't met my mother, have you? No. Mother, will you come here? Yes, we come. This is Mr. Mason, Mother. do you do.
12: I'm very happy to know you, Mrs. McLennan.
6: My name, Kalima. Mother prefers to be called by her Hawaiian name. Yes, yeah, Kalima.
12: I see. Perhaps, Miss McLennan, you also... Oh, no, me. no,
6: My native name would be a little difficult for strangers to pronounce. It's Kanahaiweo. Oh,
12: that's such a beautiful name. I like to call you Kanahaiweo when I... Cease to be a stranger.
6: Well, to advance our friendship, won't you visit Mother and me some evening? I'd love to. Well, how will this coming Thursday be? You'll have dinner with us?
12: Thursday will be splendid.
6: Good. Come to your stay.
12: Thank you, Mister McGlennan.
6: Me, Kalima!
12: Oh, yes, of course. Excuse me.
6: Now we must be going, Mother. But here comes Dr. Rainey. To take Mr. Mason away. Good morning, Mason.
14: Hello, Irene. Hello, Kalima.
6: Good morning, Doctor. Goodbye till Thursday, Mr. Mason. Yeah, till Thursday.
14: I'll be there early. Yeah, what's this about Thursday? You folks inviting the new minister to dinner or something? Yes, Doctor. Well, that's great. Nothing like getting a free feed when you can. If you and your mother don't mind, Irene, I'll come along, too, and have one.
6: Uh, Why, we should be delighted to have you, of course.
14: I knew you'd say that. Glad you made it Thursday, though. That's my only free evening this week.
6: We shall expect you both. Come, Mother.
14: Goodbye, Irene. Aloha, Kalima. Aloha. Goodbye.
6: Till we meet again, Mr. Mason.
14: Very beautiful girl, Irene, isn't she? What? I really haven't noticed. Oh, you're staring after her like a lost sheep because she and her mother have become such good parishioners of yours, I suppose. (laughs) That's right, my boy. Always keep an eye on the customers. I still don't... I don't like this sudden religious fervor. Old Kalima's especially. You're the only unattached white man in Kohala now. It almost looks as though she wished you to become interested in Irene. Oh, that's Nonsense. The same kind of nonsense you tried to make me believe about Roy Colworth's death. Please drop the subject, Doctor. You've harped on it ever
12: since the day I met you.
14: And my harping hasn't done a bit of good.
12: Well, did you expect to convince me with your wild theory that old Hawaiian women has caused four men to be killed by sharks? If it were possible for her to have such an impossible power, do you think I'd believe she or her daughter would harm anyone after I watched them in church every Sunday for a month? Anyone so sincere in their worship of God as those two women can have no treachery inside their hearts for men.
14: So you think they and the other natives in your congregation really worship our white God? Really believe as you do? I don't think, Doctor. I'm positive. All right, I'll say no more. Hmm, Irene and her mother must have forgotten something. They're coming back here.
6: Oh, Mr. Mason, when we invited you for dinner, Mother and I made a very foolish mistake. Thursday is the one evening of the week we shall not be free. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, Dr. Rainey. You said you were engaged on every other night, didn't you? Yes. Uh, will you come on Wednesday, Mr. Mason?
12: Well, that will suit me splendidly.
6: Now, goodbye again, Mr. Mason, and Dr. Rainey.
14: Goodbye, Mr. Lennon. Hello. Goodbye, Mr. K- uh, Kalima. Goodbye. Sorry I am so busy Wednesday.
6: The doctor knows we don't want him, Mother. You no matter. The young Heoli already look at you with longing eyes. But his eyes look differently than other men's have looked. His eyes seem good. White men never good. I teach you that. yes. They're all bad like my father. And like your father and the others. We give this man to come life. Yes, to come The king's sharp god.
12: Good night, Kanahawe.
6: It's time I taught you to say aloha. Don't you like our custom of using the same word for parting as we do for greeting? It seems to make the parting shorter.
12: Nothing can make separation from you seem short.
6: You see me every evening. That's not enough.
12: It's nearly two months since I came first to call on you, yet it seems like yesterday. I never dreamed anyone could know such happiness as i found with you.
6: I, I'm glad you've been happy. Now I must go in. No, don't,
12: don't go yet. There's something I want to tell you. Something I've wanted to say for weeks, but lacked the courage to put it into words. Now.
6: You must tell me another time. My mother is waiting. No,
12: now I've started. I must finish before I lose my nerve again. Irene, I love you.
6: Oh, don't say such things.
12: You don't care for me?
6: Don't ask me questions now. Come tomorrow night and we'll talk. Now I must go.
12: I won't let you go. You do care for me. I see it in your eyes. Irene, say you'll be my wife. Say that you'll marry me.
6: Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I must go in. Irene. And Laura. Why do you weep? Mother, I, I thought you'd gone to bed. Why do you weep? No, no reason. Just because I'm, I'm tired, I guess. Hmm. Did you do what I say tonight? No, no, not yet. Oh, you must give me time. I have already given you time. Too much time. Come, I will. Have you fallen in love with this white man that you must hear. Oh, Mother. Ah, oh, you fall in love with this white man? No. That is well. It would be danger for one taboo. Very danger, for at least of have come all life. There must be no more delay. The King shortcut has found it long. Tomorrow we must have another sacrifice. Oh, tomorrow is so soon. Tomorrow is very late. Tomorrow? Tomorrow.
12: <sighs> Darling, I won't let you stop me as you did last night. I love you. I want you for my wife.
6: Oh, don't say such things. And don't look at me like that. My dear. Don't look at me like that, I say. Can't you realize that I'm a half-caste? My hair's as yellow as yours. My skin's white. But I'm a brown savage underneath. A brown savage. I oh, don't you gaze at me as all others of my father's race have done? As an inferior, a female animal. As something they can take and break. Don't look at me gently. Don't be different from the rest. Oh, I want to hate you. You, You.
12: I don't care what your blood is. I only know I love you.
6: I don't know what you're saying. You must go away and never see me again. You
12: don't want me to go away. You love me.
6: Yes. Yes, I love you.
12: That's all that matters.
6: Then then in the morning, you must take me to Honolulu. We'll be married there and take the first steamer for San Francisco.
12: You mean leave Kohala?
6: Yes. And Hawaii. Forever. Forever? It's our only safety. Yours and mine. Safety? Oh, don't question. Just do as I ask. Please. Oh, please.
12: I don't understand, but I'll do anything you wish.
6: I, I'll try to explain later. Now take me home. I'll meet you at the dock tomorrow at ten. A boat's leaving for the mainland then. But you must tell no one of our plan.
12: You mean, except your mother? No,
6: no, my mother, least of all.
12: You don't want your mother to know?
6: My daughter, John. Mother! Mrs. McLennan. Me, Kalima. You're hiding behind those palm trees, listening. It is a warm night. I walk on beach. You come talk, I hear. Oh. Mr. Mason, my daughter make joke to you. She no want to leave Kohala, But tomorrow, you go back to Honolulu, bring back wedding ring from there, then you, she, my here. Mother, you mean you'll let us be married? let after Mr. Mason come back Honolulu. If Mr. Mason be away from you all day on trip. You'll be less lonely for him. Before he go, you take one lock your future husband here. A lock of my hair? No, no, no. Don't let her have a single hair from your head. Don't let anyone have one. No, no, I will. I won't let you. I won't let you. You will take... No. You. You haka kahuna kama ho lai. Kama mean, ho lai. Irene.
12: Kalima. I don't understand.
6: My my mother has just reminded me of an old Hawaiian belief that the soul and life dwells equally in all parts of the body. If you leave a lock of your hair with me, it will be as though I had you with me tomorrow, even though you are away in Honolulu.
12: I've heard about that, nation. I'd be glad to give you a lock of my hair, Irene. It's a rather pretty idea for people who are in love. But I really can't approve of any pagan superstition about it.
6: I cut the hair. No, I cut it. Cut it carefully. No, you have. And I shall keep it safe. Yes, I say, But this lock of white man's hair, it mean a white man's life. I won't go with you any further. I won't go where that monster shark is swimming. Come. No. No. Oh, Mother, please. Come. Call. I hear his voice. I go to him. Oh, but don't make me do this thing tonight. Oh, don't. We'll stand by his sacred water now. I tell we hear. Look, he come. Oh, I can't look at him swimming there. Eat him. Come, ho, alai, hungry. We know our food he likes for long. You can't make me give him this man's life. He's not like other white men. This one is good. No, white man, good. Come, ho, alai, hungry. Give. No, I will not give this white man's life. You will not give life. You only give lock of hair to God in water. No, mother, please. Quick will I speak. It's tie of will. I won't give it to him. I don't believe anymore he is a god. He's just a monster, savage shark. That's all you are. A savage shark. Carol, kind oh, of I won't be frightened. The voice of a god's not speaking. That's only natural thunder. You and my mother have taught me to fear this thing. You made me his priestess when I was a baby. Taught me his evil worship because my father had left you and you wanted revenge on his race. I'm of my father's blood as well as yours. I don't believe in your shark blood anymore. I don't believe. If you do not believe, what harm can lock of hair and I do? I, I've believed so long. Yeah, and will believe until you die. Give lock of hair. No, I've helped you send other men to death. But this beast can't have the one I love. You give King Shark good lock of hair, or I kill your white man with knife. Mother. Give. Here, Mother. I give you a lock of hair to give your a cup A lock of hair a life Yellow hair, white man's hair. I give come all life. I throw it in the water. As you take the pot so take the hole. As you take the hair so take the life come whole lie take Oh pity. <laughs>
12: I'd buy the ring the moment I land in Honolulu, darling, and you'll be waiting here at the dock when my boat returns from there tomorrow. And Then I've arranged with Mr. Evans to perform the ceremony. Irene, why are you so silent this morning? Aren't you feeling well?
6: I'm I'm all right. My daughter will wait you here by sea tomorrow.
12: I'll depend on you to see that she does, Mrs. Uh, Kalima. Oh, they're getting ready to haul up the gangbang. I must go her. Aloha, dear. You said that sort of goodbye made separation seem shorter. But if you really believe that heathen notion about the lock of hair, part of me is staying here with you.
6: Yes. And I have kept it safe. I have it here. Aloha. Uh-huh. All aboard. All
12: the bank. I must go. Aloha, dear. Aloha, Kalima.
6: Aloha. Um. Come on, higher will. Why you get the lock of hair? It is that white man. Yes, my hair is yellow, too. It was mine you gave to the king, Shot god. Your hair? I give my daughter life, come the whole life.
13: Yes,
6: yes, you gave him my life. And now he comes to claim the sacrifice you pledged him. And now I go to pay your debt of hate. My daughter, come back. Come on, will. I mean, My
1: kind of highway, oh, my kind of oh.
13: a birthday and we'll have another party on to spinnyi.
2: Three girls on an island in the Aegean Sea looking for a good time. The wine is cheap, and the ancient sun is blazing hot. It's the same sun which beat down on Poseidon when he made these islands from mountains he tore from the mainland. But these are modern times. It wouldn't do to ruminate too much on the antics of the gods of a bygone age. Not a good idea at all.
10: Shelter from the noontime sun. He, he Eumolpus, Eumolpus, made his way to the temple of Poseidon, where he meant to sleep in the shade of the sacred palmus. Scarcely had he entered the precinct when he noticed a comely youth. A comely youth. This <laughs> then, the temple steps, and turned toward the shore, determined to have his way with the boy. Eumolpus followed, marveling at the vigor of his young manhood. <laughs> mm. You like this, huh? Mm. So on the shore, Eumolpus spied his corpse, the brilliant sun illuminating his fine parts. Mm. Mm. And how fine were his parts, you? Mm. <laughs> but then, as Eumolpus stood transfixed, that soft skin seemed to crack and burst asunder, mm. hanging as if a laid hide upon the shoulders of a barbarian. For under the youth's skin there stood a most horrible scale creature. What? Its awful green eyes staring up. Oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm reading. It. It's a story. Oh, God. Turning from him, the monster plunged into the stormy sea and vanished. Hmm. Oh. Oh. It's one of those myths. Very scary, huh? Sure. Ah. What time is it? Mm, I don't know. Almost noon, I guess. The sun's pretty high. Oh, it's hot. Just the way we like it. Oh, tell do to wake me, son. Oh, I didn't mean to fall asleep. I'm going to be all burned. Why didn't you wake me? You weren't asleep that long. Oh, well, actually, I didn't notice the difference. You just looked peaceful.
13: Yeah.
10: Is there any drinking water? Uh, no, I used to rinse my hair. But go for a swim. That'll wake you. Yeah, maybe. They're pretty strange, those old Greeks. All this stuff about men changing into wolves and gods appearing as birds and monsters. Huh. It's hard to believe it's the same people who built all those marble temples, don't you think? Hmm. What happened to Teresa? Did she go? Yes, back to town. She went to look for that guy, Jeff, or whatever his name is. He was striking. From the restaurant? Uh huh. I don't know why she didn't just stay with him last night. Better than waking us up at four in the morning. Didn't you hear her? No. Well, she woke me up. He seems nice, Jeff. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> Are you hungry? Yeah. I don't think I can stand another fried fish, thank God. Maybe, Musaki, you had that yesterday, didn't you? Was, was it really good? Well, it
5: was better than the day before. Yeah. Yeah. He's
10: probably an asshole. I mean, knowing Teresa, anything with two legs and a smile, she'll bring it home. What's wrong with that? I think so. I'm jealous. I'm gonna break my heart for a change. Oh, my break my heart. Hmm. If I throw a pebble into the sea, do you think some god will rise out of the water? Poseidon or Herculean?
5: Try it, and see. <laughs> All right. A stone.
10: How far should I throw it? Of course.
5: Don't suppose it matters.
10: You mean there's no special thing? <laughs> oh, great Poseidon. Your worshiper calls you. Come
1: forth. How long is this going to
10: take? Give him time.
5: Oh, God, this water is freezing. How can it be so cold when the sun is so hot? It's not bad.
10: Are you going
5: in? I think I'll walk down the beach a bit.
10: Okay, don't get lost. Nope. Mm. Trying to go back soon. I'm getting hungry. Okay. You yeah, maybe we should try that other restaurant today by the pier. Something's gonna
5: be good. Fine by me.
10: What are you doing?
5: Looking for shells. Are you ready? A few.
10: If you find any naked men, let me know. All right. Sure, <laughs> I Ocean, beach, mountains.
5: Karen. Karen? Yeah what? Come here. What? There's a snake.
1: Well, Come here. All right. a minute.
5: Hurry. It's going. Coming.
10: Oh. So where is it? What's the matter? Did it rain? No. Huh?
5: It went into the water. Into the sea? Yes. I saw it on those rocks. Just the head at first. Then it went across the sand and into the water. It was big. Can snakes swim? They must.
10: Huh. Well, that's the last time I'm going in. <laughs> Uh, do you want to go back then to town?
5: Or? If it's underwater, it'll have to come up.
10: Oh, come on, Mary. Who wants to wait around for a snake? You can see it? No. It was big and black. Yeah, well, um... Let's go, shall we? Mary,
4: still hasn't come up. Oh. <gasps>
15: Anyway, I'd been swimming off the rocks, and then I stopped for a rest with my legs hanging down into the water. Mm-hmm. And after a minute, I felt something brush against my foot. Yeah. It, well, I figured it was seaweed, but I looked down, and it was an octopus sitting on my
6: foot. Oh, my God! Yeah,
15: I saw this tentacle curling up around my leg. Gave me quite a shot.
6: Oh, bad. Did it bite you? No,
15: no. I yanked my leg up, and the octopus fell off. Swam away. It wasn't a big one, you know, a foot or two across. Oh,
5: that's awful! Did it happen here on the island?
15: No, this was in Nafion, on on the mainland. But they catch octopus around here too, so watch out. Yeah, certainly will.
10: I don't like those things,
15: creatures. What
10: were you doing in Nafion?
15: Traveling around. I got picked up by a group of American tourists. They took me on their bus, put me up in a hotel. So looks great. It's boring sometimes, they're all pretty old. Where'd
5: you go? Not
15: a usual route. Delphi, Olympia, Epidaurus.
5: Is Delphi nice?
15: Sure, sure. it's up to spot.
5: Jeff knows a place we can stay if we want to go. Yeah?
15: Yeah, a little poncian. Cheap place. A nice old guy around it. He likes the English girls. Oh,
5: yeah. Well, we've had enough of that, thanks.
15: Yeah. You get half a lot.
5: Enough, yeah. It's not so bad here. You know,
15: in Athens, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Athenians like the hot stuff. I. Eh? It's like a different country coming to the islands.
10: How long have you been here?
15: Uh, six months, I guess, and, and three before that in Naxos. It's
10: a long time. It must get
15: pretty boring all along in small islands. No, do not boring. People come, go. Not yourself. Oh, there's someone here to talk to. Yorgo rents me a room over his disco. Huh? Huh? You don't know Yorgo? that's him in the kitchen. He owns this restaurant. Hey, uh, Yorgo! Yorgo! Yeah!
11: Yeah, hello? Yeah,
15: come here. These
5: ladies would like to meet you. Sure,
15: sure. i will come. For just a minute. Now, you've got to meet this guy. He knows the island really well, and he has half of it.
5: A disco, huh? You should see Jeff's room. Why? Well, you probably have to go through it on the way to the bathroom. Uh. Yeah, it's just uh, social. Come and visit me sometime. I don't sleep much. Sure. You too. All right, I will. Yeah.
15: So, um, you're uh, Mary, right? Yes. And uh Karen. Karen, this sea. Yeah. yeah. So what were you two doing this morning, hmm? Seeing the countryside? Mm.
5: Just the beach. We walked to the other side of the point.
15: Hmm, yeah. But well, that's a nice beach. Um you've got to keep the clothes on though. <laughs> the police sometimes wander by.
10: Oh, we did. Mary saw a rattlesnake. That was exciting.
5: Yeah? You, you saw a mm-hmm. snake? Yeah. It went across the beach and into the water. I don't know what kind it was. It was black. How big? Five or six feet long.
15: Six feet? Woo! We have got a regular boa constrictor in your hands. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hey, Yogo. Yeah, come yeah. here. We want to ask you some questions about Snakes?
11: Snakes? <laughs> what do you want, snake, for ladies? We got here a chicken, a moussaka. No, no, I <laughs> don't want to eat a snake. Mm. She saw a snake, a black one. You know what kind it is? When you see this snake, miss? Last night, after too much oozo?
5: <laughs> no, this morning on the beach.
11: Maybe a lizard. <laughs> Lots of lizards. Cats eat them all the time. You see a lizard, okay?
5: Well, it didn't have any legs.
11: No. <laughs> Maybe a shadow, a stick. No snakes on this island. Other places, yes. Uh, Crete, Syros, mainland, you know, at not uh, the in Athens. There are snakes nothing. But here no. 500 years ago, San Polonia comes to the island and he take away all the snakes. We take them out to sea, they all drown. So, since then, no snakes. <laughs> Want some wine, me?
5: <laughs> no, no, thanks. But I did see one, I'm sure. <laughs>
11: no, no snakes, Miss. <laughs> no snakes. <laughs> I saw
5: one. So, what do you think of him? Who? Jeff! Isn't he gorgeous? He's okay. 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 Well, he's
10: no Adonis, dear. Don't kid yourself.
5: I don't see you with anyone.
10: Oh, is this a competition? I I didn't realize.
5: Hey, give me a break, you two. Okay. When did you meet him, Teresa? Yesterday afternoon when I was shopping. He helped me talk to the shopkeeper. He speaks Greek, you know. Oh. Is there any brandy left? Should be. Yeah, half a bottle. Great. Kind of early, isn't it? Oh, we're not forcing you. Where's my glass? You take it, Karen. I
10: uh, me? No. Um, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I, I left it in the bathroom.
5: Well, will you go and get it, please? Oh, all right. <sighs> Isn't she getting precious? Well, never go traveling with someone who's self-centered. The whole trip turns into a monologue. What they don't want to do. What they don't like. Wouldn't mind if she had something original to say. The same comments every morning, every night. Enough. Not much longer, though. No. Ten days. Oh, I don't want to go back. Mm. It's so fabulous here. Every island is better than the last. Yeah. Except that we're stuck with Karen every minute of the day and night. Oh, come on. She's not that bad. We should have agreed to go our own ways if we started arguing. Next time. I Here's love. a glass, dearie. Oh, thanks. You want some brandy, Karen?
10: Ah, uh, no, no. Thanks. I'm going to have a shower if I can get them to turn on the hot water. Good idea. And Teresa, if you don't want to travel with me anymore, that's fine. You can go your way and I'll go mine.
5: What? Was she listening? Karen? She's gone. Oh. Oh, well, it's what I feel. Why shouldn't she know it? Maybe you should go and apologize. Why, for saying what I think? Don't be such a wimp, Mary. Oh, look at the sunset. It's fabulous. Come and see. Oh, yeah, you're right. The mountainside's all golden in the sky. Pretty nice, huh? Look. What? There's a bat flying around the courtyard. Oh, he's early. Maybe it's Zeus out looking for some nymphs in disguise. (coughs) Oh, I'd like to meet a god. But how would you know? could appear as a bird or a fish. Watch out for the bulls and stallions. Ah, Anything with a large phallus. (laughs) Right. I'm thinking of staying, you know. What do you mean, in Greece? Yeah, here on the island. If I can change my air ticket. I'd like to see more and really live here. What do you think? You mean stay with Jeff? Well, well, he's here too. Did he ask you to stay? No, it's my idea. He doesn't know anything about it. The tickets are chartered, Teresa. You won't be able to change it. Oh, I can try, can't I? Well, where do you get off telling me what I can or can't do? I wasn't. I just I'll do be... what I want to. Fine.
10: Is it this it? What? Aren't there more galleries or another floor? No, I think this is all. Hmm. Some museum. Well, it's a small island. Yeah, but there was an ancient city, wasn't there? I mean, it's hard to believe they left so little.
5: The best thing's go to Athens.
10: Oh yeah. Nice just.
5: They're Roman copies.
10: Hmm? How come you know so much?
5: I read the label. Oh. <laughs> God,
10: I've got to quit smoking. You get like a swab. All I ever do is smoke or eat. You think she's pretty? Who? Aphrodite. Kind of fleshy around the don't though. That's new. Nice and easy feet. Pretty bland face. I have done okay back there. Huh? <laughs> I bet all the men didn't look like Zeus though.
5: Aside. Whatever.
10: Oh look. What? I painted on his vase. You see it's, it's it's coiled all over a chair. Is it is it a throne? That's new. Yeah. Let's see what the card says. Medusa. That's there? There's more engraved. Too bad Jeff isn't here. Hmm. I I thought Medusa was a witch.
5: An evil goddess. Right.
10: Anyway, it's a big black snake.
5: That's what I thought. For a minute.
15: What? Music too loud for you?
5: No, it's the smoke. It hurts my eyes.
15: Uh
5: I wish they'd open a window. Yeah.
15: To the Greeks, it's a cold night. Come July, they open the place up.
5: Nice out here.
15: Music sounds better, too. I'm getting a bit sick of that old rock, Stuart. Could go upstairs. I've got a nice little balcony.
5: Oh. No, thanks.
15: Sure. It's a great view.
5: Are we leaving? I don't know. Are we? Well, I sure can't dance anymore. Maybe we could go have some dessert someplace. I think it's too late.
14: You're kidding? Yeah, the restaurant's closed. Oh,
10: well, let's find somebody to do. I can't go to sleep yet. Yeah? Where, where's Teresa? Teresa, come on,
5: we're going! Did we pay? Yes, we did. Um, well, we could go down to the water. we? Yeah, yeah, good idea. The swimming's great at oh, night. Goodness. Well, I'll I'll take your word
16: for it. Best to
15: leave your shoes on in case you step on a rock or a sea urchin.
5: What's this? Nobody mentioned danger. It's getting colder out here.
15: You have to find a warm (gasps) spot.
5: Oh, look. What? The water is just glowing. Wow, whenever I move, it glows.
15: Yeah, it's luminescent. What's this?
5: (gasps) Oh, look at it. All underwater, too. It's amazing. Come
15: on out. It's lovely.
5: Oh, yeah? Well, uh, I'll give it a try. <laughs> not bad. Well, aren't you coming in? No, I don't think so. Why not? You feeling sick or something? No, I feel so great. Wonderful, isn't it? The air, the water. Look at the mountains. Too bad there isn't a moon. I'm going to run up the hill here. What? Why? Well, just to do it. I won't be long. Don't leave without me. Okay. <laughs>
13: Yeah, sort of. What's
5: she doing? Mountain climbing.
13: Be careful, eh?
5: I will. Now, what's wrong?
13: Ow! Are you all right? Yeah, I just tripped. What? I'm okay. Now, pass.
1: Hmm. Yes, this is it. So dark.
13: Hmm. What's this?
5: Hello Hello? Someone there? Yes. Good evening. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to intrude. No, no. Not at all. It's so dark, I couldn't see where I was going. I must have lost the path. Ah, yes. It is dark.
17: Why don't you sit down and rest? There's the rock beside you.
5: All oh, right. Huh. Thank you.
2: It's warm, the rock. Mm, yes. From the heat of the day. It stays warm most of the night.
10: That's great. It's really pleasant. Yes.
2: I like to lie on the rocks at night to feel the warmth and watch the stars. Me too.
5: Is this home then, the island?
2: No. But I am a frequent visitor.
5: You're lucky. This is my first time. I love it. I love all the islands, really. And the sea. It's great to be able to dive in any time, swim, lie in the sun to dry off, eat when you want to, sleep. It's heaven. Yes. But my ticket runs out, so I have to go home. Too bad. Do you know the other islands then? Crete, Santorini. Oh yes, you've traveled a lot.
2: Mm. And south across the sea to Africa. Egypt is not far. If there is a south wind,
1: you can smell the date palms even here.
6: Really? Mm.
5: there. My senses must be very dull. Honey, yeah. I can hear your voice so clearly, but I can't see your face. My
17: skin is very dark.
5: From the sun? Yeah. I looked in the mirror the other night and all I could see were my teeth and the whites of my eyes. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking so much. <laughs> when I'm with my friends, I never get the chance. <laughs> Do you have children? Yes. But they are not with me. Ah. It's great that you're free to come and go, and... Mm. I'm sorry. Do you mind me asking so many questions? I don't even know you. Well, you have found me. Ask what you wish. Huh. Ask what I wish. Yes. <laughs> I'll go on and on. come up in
4: Africa.
5: (laughs) Did I say that? (laughs) Funny. Well, I can think about it when I'm back at work, daydreaming. Perhaps you will have your wish. (laughs) By the way, I'm Mary. What's your name? My name? Yes. Unless you don't want to tell me. That's all right. Oh. What is it? I I heard something moving. Maybe a lizard. (laughs) (laughs) No. It was only me stretching. Oh, but it didn't sound like... There it is again. I'll see if I can... I guess it's gone. It was big, whatever it was. Are you there? Hello? Hello? Where did she go? <laughs>
13: I'm coming. But
1: where?
10: Mary? Come on. My up. Mary? It's the middle of the afternoon. Time to get up. What? Why? You don't want to sleep all day, do you? 4.30.
5: In the afternoon? I got it. Oh, well, i uh, better... Oh. Uh.
1: Oh. Uh. What's the matter?
10: Oh, my head. I, are you hungover? <laughs> I didn't think you had that much to drink. I don't know what it is. I feel all funny. I uh, Maybe I'll just stay in bed. Are you sick, Carol? Maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, you've got a fever, all right. Mm-hmm. God, Mary, look at your skin.
6: Mm-hmm.
10: It's all peeling. You must have got really sunburned yesterday.
6: Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm itchy. I
10: bet you are. Mm-hmm. Your eyes look funny, too. Um, well, they're not yellow, though, so I guess it's in hepatitis. <laughs> hey, look who's away. You must
5: have had a good time last night.
10: She's sick, Teresa.
5: Yeah? What with...
10: Oh,
4: just a flu. I don't know.
5: Well, don't give it to me. Uh, listen, uh, did Jeff come by when we were out? We were, we were supposed to meet, but I can't find him. Mm, I don't think so. Well, oh, but you were asleep, so you probably wouldn't have heard him. Uh, no, I'll ask downstairs. Uh, I've got some Valium if you want. No, thanks. Okay. Valium. <sighs>
10: it's not a great day. Mm. The wind is really blowing. Mm. It's sound everywhere. Too rough for the fishermen to go out. Want me to get you something to eat? Oh, no thanks. Maybe I'll just go back to sleep. Yeah. Uh, you sure don't look great. Thanks. I could get a doctor. Oh uh, no. Okay. Well, um, sleep tight. Oh well. My pack here, okay? This is where the boat loads, right? So when it comes, we won't have to run all the way with our bags.
5: Well, what about the breakfast? We can go somewhere now or eat on the boat. Is there a restaurant on board? There was a week ago. The food's probably awful.
10: Well, let's go and eat here then.
5: We don't have time. The boat's supposed to be here in five minutes. Well, I don't see it. What do you want to do, Mary?
10: I'm easy. Yes, I know that, but you want to go and eat? I guess not. Are going on anorexic? I can't believe this. I'm just not hungry. Yeah, yeah. Morning, sun, water. It's beautiful, isn't it? What? The day, the sea. I don't know. It looks like any other day to me.
5: What do you think, sweetie? Can't you shut up for five minutes?
10: Mm, we're touchy this morning. Not a great farewell to your lover. Just shut up. <laughs> okay,
5: sorry. Did
10: you
5: say goodbye? No. Bastard. He was asleep when I went by. Some Swedish girl answered the door.
10: Oh, oh Summer, love.
5: Right. What?
1: Cold. Cool. Yeah.
5: No, I feel wonderful. Fine, I mean. Yeah? I just noticed that sweet scent in the air.
4: It's the date palms in Egypt.
10: What? I think this drip has affected your brain.
4: Can't you taste it?
10: Sweet. <laughs> All I could taste is last night's cigarettes. I'll slide across the greenery. Wait, that's it.
5: Isn't it our boat? There is only one. Oh, it's
10: almost on time. Amazing. I wonder if we'll meet anyone on board. Anyone interesting? I'm sure you will. Should we buy anything? Cheese, wine? What do you think, Mary? Yes? What are you doing?
5: I just want to look. Look at
10: what? Mary! Hey! What happened? She
5: just went under the water. What? I just can't see. Mary!
1: Did she fall in? What did she do? Where is she? Mary? Mary! We better call someone. Yes, help, Mary! Help. Oh, my God, help someone! I slide across the sand, put my head into the water, and dive to the bottom of the soul.
2: Island in the Aegean Sea, drinking up the sun, a little booze, a little history, looking for a good time. Maybe Mary just picked the wrong time or the wrong island. She's heading for another destination now, the vanishing.
0: CBS Radio Mystery Theater, aka Radio Mystery Theater, and also known as Mystery Theater, and sometimes abbreviated as CBS RMT, was a radio drama anthology series created by Hyman Brown that was broadcast on the CBS Radio Network affiliate from 1974 to 1982, and later in the early 2000s was carried by the NPR satellite feed simply brilliant stuff i love the cbs rmt just ask anyone they'll tell you how much i dig it anyway the format was similar to that of classic old-time radio shows like the mysterious traveler and the whistler in that the episodes were introduced by a host eg marshall who provided pithy wisdom and commentary throughout unlike the host of those earlier programs E.G. Marshall is fully mortal, merely someone whose heightened insight and erudition plunged the listener into the world of the macabre, a manner similar to that of The Man in Black, and yet another old-time radio program, Suspense. As with Hyman Brown's prior inner sanctum mysteries, each episode of the CBS Radio Mystery Theater opened and closed with the ominous sound of a creaking crypt door, accompanied by Marshall's disturbing utterance, Come in. Welcome, I'm E.G. Marshall. That was followed by one of Marshall's other catchphrases, usually either the sound of suspense or the fear you can hear. At the conclusion, the door would swing shut, preceded by Marshall's classic sign-off. Until next time, pleasant dreams.
8: Love that.
0: Anyway, Marshall hosted the program from January 1974 until February of 1982, when actress Tammy Grimes took over for the series last season, maintaining the format. CBS RMT was broadcast each weeknight, at first, the new program each night. Later in the run, three or four episodes were new originals each week, and the remainder repeats. There were 1,399 original episodes, and me, being a high school kid in the 80s, I knew nothing about this. I have no idea why. I wish I did, but I've made up by trying to listen to every single episode many times over. Anyway, the total number of broadcasts, including reruns, was 2,969 by Chrom. That's cool. Had to, had to throw that in there for Conan fans. Each episode was allotted a full hour of airtime, but after commercials and news, episodes typically ran for about 45 minutes. In repeats of the show broadcast in the early 2000s, Hyman Brown himself replaced E.G. Marshall's original host segments. Hope you enjoy.
15: Video Mystery Theater presents... G. Marshall. To some men, challenge is a way of life. They can't exist without it. It can be a simple macho thing, the need to prove themselves at least better, if not best. It can be a drive to smother inadequacy, or to conquer fear, or in rare instances, it can be a duel to the death, a matter of evening up the score. This is the story of such a man and his adversary, the great white shark, and of the revenge which Gunnar Trent finally exacted
16: against his enemy. It's no good sailing, boss. What, Jimmy? Woman's on ship is bad medicine. No
15: you might be right about this one.
16: I have read message in Sun. Then I have dreamed through the Kunabiti. I see written death.
15: Death? For who?
16: For one aboard this boat.
15: Our mystery drama, The Great White Shark, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Michael Tolan. It is sponsored in part by Contact, the 12-hour cold capsule, and True Value Hardware Stores. I'll be back shortly. With Act One. She's a 50 foot twin diesel river witch, the sport fisherman's dream. This is the boat you can't buy. You have to pass judgment of the brothers who build her first. This hull is called the Fair Dinkum, and she is moored in Sydney Harbor. She is owned and operated by a bloke named Gunner Trent, who is coiling a line as a huge, powerful man in his 50s hails him from the dock. Ahoy, the Fair Dinkum. You her captain? She's my boat, yes. Are you Gunner Trent? That's the label. What's yours? J.H. Burton. I'm looking for a charter. How many? Just me and the wife. What's your game? The big ones? Marlin. I don't want any sardines. I'm rated over a thousand pounds. That takes a little finding. I got the time. And the money. Three hundred a day in expenses. Money's no object to J.H. Burden. But can you guarantee me my fish? Can you land it if we fetch it? You just let me hook in and I'll bring her aboard. It may take a week or so. I got time. Within reason. We have to cruise the Great Barrier Reef. You could fly there, pick up a charter on the spot a lot earlier. Cheaper. They say you can smell the big ones with your rudder. That's Jimmy, my aborigine bloke. He's got the seven cents. He's my crew and helmsman. I don't know what I'd do without him. Now look, Trent, you don't have to sell yourself short. I got your reputation. Now, you still want to sail with me? It's what I want. And when J.H. Burden wants something, he gets it. I'll pay you three fifty a day over expenses, and we we'll leave tomorrow morning on the tide. Money talks, huh? All I want is your answer. Fine with me. You want to check the accommodations? I know what they are on a boat like this. For figure two weeks, you get me my fish on a line and evidence hunk dory. And if I don't, you better, boy. <laughs> I'm not worried. G.E. from Texas only backs winners. We'll board you by 9 a.m. The fair drinker will be ship shape and ready to pull out. I didn't like Mr. J. H. Burden from the start. He was a blowhard and a bully. But we've been laying up for 13 days since the last charter and we could use the do re Besides, I had my own private vendetta to attend to. And maybe, just maybe, a run-up to the barrier might dig him up for me. They were right on time the next morning. I had to drop that. Not that Jimmy and me weren't ready. We always are. What I wasn't ready for was Mr. J.H. Burden's lady. She was a breathtaker, and less than half his age. I had a sudden feeling I never should have taken this charter. I could see a rough go ahead. Morning, Gunner. Morning, J.H. i like you to meet the ball and chain, Eve. This is Gunner Trent. I'm very glad, Mrs. Burden.
17: Hi, Gunner. Can you possibly live up to all I've heard about you?
15: Oh, I suppose that would depend on what you've heard.
17: For your reputation that for a big game fish, nobody slips them out like you. The uh, number one captain on the whole east coast of Australia. That's only because of
15: Jimmy, my special Yamidji. Jimmy, say hello to Mr. and Mrs. Burden.
16: Yes, boss. Uh, Jimmy, we say hello. Welcome board. You know what to stow the baggage, Jimmy. Yes, boss. Do our new friends bring us good luck. We will have empty days, but big fish run free. and by, we cross their path, Maluka. That's a good
15: omen. Well, you see, Jimmy is a clever man. How is that? Among the Aborigines are men of high degree who are psychic. Jimmy is one of those. Before this voyage is over, I'm sure you'll recognize his value. We pulled out at noon and headed for the Gap. Once we were in the open with the big swell hitting us, I had my first chance to rate my charters. Neither of them turned Gap green. That means sailor stomachs. I had a feeling this was going to be a bonza show. I was on the flying bridge. My butt settled securely at the corner of the aft rail to take the weight off my bad leg when she came topside to join me. It's a beautiful harbor, Mr. Trent. Where are we now? Heading north by west through the gap. The gap? The entrance to Sydney Harbor. Now that's North Head off to the left, South Head on the right.
17: It's marvelous. The spread of the town around the harbor looks like the Mediterranean. Well, that'll be all
15: the red tile roofs, I
17: expect.
16: I'll look
15: back over the way to the skyline.
16: Wait.
17: It looks almost like New York.
15: So people say.
17: You haven't ever been to New York?
15: Oh, yes, right. In another incarnation, you must say.
17: Well, what does that
15: mean? Why, I shouldn't have said it. Forget I did.
17: Did I say something out of you? No, no, I did. We'll button it up at that. Maybe I'm intruding up here.
15: No, it's your charter. Not mine, Dave.
17: Matter of fact, he sent me up to ask how soon we can break out lines.
15: we Well, not sure we're through the gap. Then we'll ease up off DY and bait the outrigger to pick up some tuna.
17: Well, he'll
15: want to be in on that. Why? But anytime there's fish. Oh, but this is not like American tuna. He's a little chap, 20, 30 pounds. We pick him up for chum, is all.
17: Chum?
15: Oh, a bait, Mrs. Burton.
17: I see. Can't we make it Eve? I mean, shipmate. after all.
15: How would that fit with J.H.? Would
17: you care?
15: He pays the freight.
17: Isn't that the truth? Well, supposing I don't care? I'd like you to call me. Leave.
15: Right. Eve it is. Oh, yes, Jimmy. What is it?
17: Excuse me, but Mother asked for his visit. The master's voice... Excuse me, I've learned when he whistles, I'd better come to heels. Thanks for the travelers
16: This no good sailing. What, Jimmy? Woman's on ship is bad medicine. We'll no bring back.
15: You might be right about this one, Jimmy.
16: Jim read message in sand. Then he dreamed. through the ppi. And he see written. Yes. Death. death for who? One aboard this boat. What kind of death? It's not written clear, but it will be from the water, boss.
15: Maybe the one I see.
16: The white death is of the gods, boss. Man cannot win against him.
15: I sure put my foot in that shark's mouth the first time. But the next round's mine. I won't be a loser next time I meet up with him.
16: Harried, death,
15: if you do... One or other of us. I own a blister I hope to repay. It is
16: not clear who
15: is to die. Well, that leaves it to the flip of the coin the way it ought to be. Even odds. But right off, before personal matters, we have to service our charter. Now, break out those outrigger lines, Jimmy. We've got to start fishing. Time was I'd have set the automatic and helped gear up with Jimmy. But since the accident, I can't move that spry, except in the water. Funny how little difference it makes there, and how much it hobbles me on land. But that's beside the point. Off D Y we trolled and picked us up a few tuna, enough to fill the bait box. We headed north for the Great Barrier Reef, and trouble showed up. Well, Mister Charter Captain, two days out, where the devil are the fish? I told you if you were in a hurry to fly north and get a charter. I have the charter I want. I just want the fish. Well, I have no magic magnets. I can't draw them. We have to go where they are. Now, do you suppose there's any chance we might get there before Christmas? We'll get there. What am I supposed to do in the meantime? That's your problem. Let me tell you something, Captain Gunner Trent. We get there and you don't show me some marvin'.
17: That's your problem. Jay,
15: that's
17: not fair. You stay out of his ease. Well, we can't expect Gunner to wave some sort of magic wand and deliver you fish for your hooks just because you're impatient.
15: Forget it, Eve. Gunner? Eve? It's grown into quite a
17: cozy little group, hasn't it? I asked Gunner to call me Eve. It's ridiculous to be any more formal.
15: I don't much care what he calls you by name. Just so he doesn't think he can call you for anything else. Jay. Oh, don't think he doesn't have eyes for you. What guy wouldn't? I just want to make sure he gets it straight. You're off limits to anyone but me. Maybe you ought to turn in, J.H. Now, what does that mean? You're pretty well shaped. Why such your luck? Oh, you explain that. you got a big fat mouth. All the money in the world doesn't buy any rights to go too far. Or any further. You calling me out, boy? I'm calling you a bluff. We want to ride this charter without coming to gutter we better make some guide rules. Don't you try to dictate any terms to me. It's my money's paying for the strip. And any time I put my money down,
16: I'm going to get value received. And don't you ever forget it. Yes, boy, what the fan do you want? Excuse us. Ship's They're looking for Mother Burden. Who is it? Jimmy, don't know.
15: Okay, I'll get it. All right with you, Captain. It's your folk or help yourself. Sir. I intend to. But just remember, that don't work both ways. What's yours is mine right now since I'm paying for it. But what's mine is mine all the way down the line.
16: Come on, boy, show me where this phone calls is. I'm,
17: I'm sorry, Connor. So much. He doesn't care who he hurts or who he insults. He had no right to talk to you like that. My hide
15: is thick enough. It's you I'm sorry about.
17: You learn to live with it.
15: She's had me on the ropes from the moment I met her. This wide eyed girl with her steady gaze and the long, lovely legs. I could feel her calling me back into the real world. And I wanted, or I realized how much I wanted to go back to it. I went up from the stateroom to the wheel. J.H. was just hanging up the ship to shore phone.
16: I got some business that's
15: going to take me back down to Sydney, Gunner. You giving up the charter? (laughs) Not on your life. This won't take me over two days. I'll fly down and back. I'll put into Cairns and drop you there to pick up a flight. Where are you, son? I got a helicopter coming to pick me up and a plane chartered ready to take off the moment it drops me. When will we expect you and Mrs. Burton back? Mrs. Burton, all of a sudden? (laughs) My formal. Well, Eve won't be back. Huh? Because she's not going. I'm going to leave her in your tender care. I hope I can trust you, Gunner. Six years ago, with someone like Eve, you mightn't have been able to. Since then, I have other things on my mind. I know, Gunner. I know. I look up a man, I make sure there's nothing left to know. I wondered why you dropped out of the automobile business. Then you know I have no time for anything but to make a living... while I continue my... search. I do. That's just why I figure my wife is safe with you. Until I met Eve, he would have been right. Now I wasn't sure... I had a cold feeling between my shoulder blades, remembering Jimmy's prophecy. That old Aborigine pearl diver knew things no other man did. If he smelled death, it was coming. I could almost taste the stale odor of it in my nostrils. quartets, a beautiful and desirable woman, far too young to be the wife of the coarse man who has money enough to buy anything, a tall, lean man with a face like a mask, only his eyes revealing the pain of some buried tragedy, a wrinkled, dark-brown Aborigine with eyes as bright as buttons, bristling with intelligence and a knowledge beyond the normal, and the uninvited guest. I'll continue the story of this charter when I return with Act Two. Just slightly north of the town of Cairns, off the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, the big 52-foot cruiser, the Fair Dinkum, rides at anchor. A high moon does little to dim the bright star patterns of the southern sky. Eve Burden, a long, wispy robe over her bikini, is lying lazily across the stern cushions. Jimmy is busy splicing some lines forward and putting the fishing gear in top shape. Gunner, swinging down off the fort ladder from the tuna tower, doesn't notice Eve's big handbag and suddenly stumbles helplessly.
17: Gunner. What? What happened? Are you all
15: right? I'm I'm all right. No damage. Except to my pride. Here, let me help you out. No, no, no. I managed by myself.
17: Was it my bag you tripped over?
15: I reckon it was. I'm so sorry. No need. It would take a clumsy fool like me to trip over it. You're not clumsy. That depends on whether I put my best foot forward or not. Your best foot? I should say my only one. I I don't understand you. Confession. I mean, as long as we're going to be alone together I thought you might as well know all my worst faults We're not exactly alone Too right Old Jimmy there If he wasn't, I wouldn't be here either
17: Some things are better not answered Um, your ankle, do you want me to have a look at it?
15: You'd have a hard time finding it Why? Because it isn't there From halfway below the knee down There isn't any more of me on that side it's the damn prosthesis, which does very well most of the time.
17: I'm, I'm sorry. I, I had no idea.
15: Why should you? I don't go around advertising my shortcomings.
17: No more than I do.
15: I shouldn't think you had many. You might be
17: surprised.
15: You know what, Eve? What? I think what you and me need is a little more company.
17: Two isn't enough?
15: Two when it's you and me is altogether too much. I'm going to kick her over and head for Cairns. You like to dance? Yes. But, but you... you? Don't worry. Just so long as I know where I'm putting my foot, everything is Bosker. Hey, Jimmy. Yes, boss. We're going to up anchor and take her into Cairns. You bring her in while I have a shower and shave.
16: Where are we heading, Jimmy? Cairns, you well, How long? How long do we get there? Bye, we... bye. Maybe one half hour. You've, uh... You've known Gunner trained a long time? Much time. Eight, nine years. How did you meet him? In the mayor. New Hebrides. I was pearl diver. Gunner was looking for pearls? Oh, no, he can say Look for the big fish. But also he dives with tank and round window over his... That's scuba diving. Right. I find giant clam get careless clam close on my leg you mean you were caught underwater by a giant clam yeah, shell close no no breathing left then come boss he takes knife cut so shell open and Jimmy can go to surface and breathe again he saved your life Jimmy's life along all same to boss how did he lose his foot I is taken by the white death. The white death? The great white shark. How?
17: Were you trying to catch him? Not catch. You see, Mark.
16: Mark. You must ask us about that. You you must ask us about that and the other things. Jimmy talk too much. I don't
15: know how long it was since I'd been in right togs The tie was tight across my throat. We went to the club, and she was the toast of the evening right on. And we danced. Even with the lame foot, I didn't make out too bad. It was a great evening. Later, after Jimmy had fetched us out by tender to the fair dinkum, we sat together in the stern, having a brandy.
1: Well, Gunner.
15: Well, Eve.
17: Where do we go from here? Nowhere. Are you afraid of him? J.H. Who else? <laughs> no. Then what is it you're afraid of? Me first. Maybe last and always. How? Huh?
15: Hasn't Jimmy told you about me?
17: In his own way. I don't know all of it. You want to? More than anything I can think of in my life.
15: All right. You asked for it. I was 25 years old and golden boy. Everything I touched came up gleaming. I cornered the market here in domestically produced automobiles and it off to my first billion. But I also had some conscience. And I felt I had to plow back some of the luck I'd had. So I used to do some jobs for the CSRIO. What's the CSRIO? Oh, Lord knows. Some government alphabet soup. Commonwealth search and I don't know. All I know is my job with sharks. Sharks, marking them. Do you see? <laughs> no, I don't. Now, they're a big problem for Australia. You can't swim on any protected beaches without a shark net. Can't go up beyond the surf without a sharp eye. So we try to control them, follow their migrations, keep the number down. We can watch them and use them commercially, but mostly we like to mark the killers. Now, what do you mean mark them? Go oversized with a marker and pin it to the dorsal fin. Sometimes even with a beeper if he's a real predator.
17: You did that? Why not? Well, wasn't it dangerous? Oh, not so
15: much. Hammerheads, wobey are very friendly. You gotta look out for the gray nurses and the tigers. But even they're fair enough dinkum if they're used to you. My mistake was to tangle with a great white.
16: He sounds enormous, was he?
15: Not all that much. They can go to 40 feet. My boy wouldn't have been more than 24, 25.
17: And you actually swam close enough to him to put a marker on his dorsal face?
15: That's the size of it. I didn't think he'd mind. He was friendly enough until I split away. And then... And then? He turned on me and took my foot away. Why? That's a question I'll be asking him when I finally catch up with him. And taking it out on him in revenge.
17: Well, what could you do to a fish in his own element?
15: Well, first off, your shark is not a fish. He's a mammal, just like you and me. And second, plenty. With my scuba tanks. You and I could meet him in a reasonably confined space. I could gouge his eyes out with my thumbs. Cripple him as he did me. And then I could take my time to destroy him with a knife.
17: And what would that prove?
15: It would be my revenge.
17: For what? When the shark injured you, he was only protecting himself. What would his death accomplish for you? Some justification for the way he lamed me. Or you lamed yourself. What? Oh, come on, Gunner. When you go up against an animal with whom you have no communication, can you blame it for acting on instinct or, or for the consequences to you? I, I don't know if I understand you. Then let me make it perfectly clear. I don't like to see the best man I've ever met in my life. Downing himself, or turning out to have feet of clay.
15: One foot, just one, and it isn't
17: even clay. So you lost a foot. That's the end of life. It doesn't give you all that much trouble that I can see. You can still do a man's work, better than both men. If you were like some, you'd really have something to cry about. Like who, for example? Like Chris.
15: Who? Who's Chris?
17: my brother. Or oh, what's left of him.
15: What happened to him?
17: A skiing accident. He broke his back. He'll never walk again. Or use his arm. He's stuck in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, Eve. But he doesn't go around wanting to blow up the slope he took the spill on. He doesn't want to gouge out the eyes of the beginner he had to dodge on a downhill run who was lying right in his path. I don't know how he has the guts to do it. But he's taken what life threw at him, and he still grits his teeth and faces up to make the best of what's left to him.
15: All right, Eve. What's the difference in your life, what I did?
17: I want to save you from yourself. But more than anything in the world... I want you. For once in my life, I want to know what it is to be loved by a real man.
15: Remember, I'm just a hired hand. And you're a married lady whose husband foots the bills.
17: I'm not likely to forget. But I didn't do it for anything I could get out of it. I did it for Chris. It costs a fortune to keep him living. And J.H. Burden is the only man who was able to pay for it. That's why I sold myself. And it was worth it. You're some kind of lady. Oh God. Gonna hold me, hold me close.
15: Why did we meet six years ago?
17: It's too late to cry over that. At least can we have tonight?
15: It's not enough. For us it has to be everything. Or nothing. I'd give you everything, Eve. He wouldn't let you. How could he stop me?
17: A hundred ways. Nobody goes up against J.H. Burden and Wins. I'm
15: not afraid of him. He's as strong as a bull. One foot and all, I could still take him.
17: He wouldn't meet you even up. He'd drown you in lawyers and call in his mafia. You wouldn't stand a chance. I'd like to call him
15: out. There's only one thing stops me. What? The shark, that big white enemy of mine, that stirs my bile and makes me less than a man, until I can cut him out of my mind and my life.
17: Are you asking me to wait for that?
15: It's the only shot at happiness we have, Eve.
17: Suppose I test that. How? Suppose I tell you that you have to make the choice now—me or your white death.
16: Which would you choose? Maduka, above. Ah, yes, Jim, what is it? Bye bye pretty soon, here comes Dingo Man by Doc. Dingo Man? Big boss, chartered lady, husband. Better maybe you get ready to see him aboard Fiadinkum. Jay, back already?
15: So it seems. Maybe just in time to save us both from any more mistakes. One thing is no mistake.
17: I want you to know it, Connor. How, why, so fast? I don't know. But I do notice is this.
15: I love you. What do you ask for me in return?
17: Not a thing. I guess it was just... too late for us both before it began. But the
15: obverse side of the coin is that many ends are only beginnings... Aboard the fair dinkum, once again, are three people, each of whom in his own way is a time bomb. And a mystical psychic aborigine who has predicted death on this voyage. But whose death? A human being? Or the great white shark who haunts Gunner's dreams? I shall return shortly with Act Three. Lies in deceptive quiet at anchor, this magnificent sportsman's dream of a boat, and all is quiet aboard. The calm before the storm. Only J. H. Burden sleeps noisily but deeply, lulled by his usual quart of spirits. In her bunk beside him, Eve lies with open dead eyes, chained to her servitude. In his bunk forward, Gunner Trent is tortured by deep feelings and emotions he thought he had long ago left behind. And cross-legged on the proud deck, Jimmy, the clever man, the psychic, rocks in a private agony as he tries to part the curtain of the future. Then at long last, the sun is risen, and they are underway toward the barrier reef.
16: Do you want coffee,
15: oh, I could use it, chugs Thanks, mate. Anyone stirring below decks?
16: Not yet, boss. By by now we should keep up charter. Go back. Our place. Home.
15: You're still getting bad vibes. What? I mean the spirits tell you bad things.
16: One bad thing. What? It's not written clear.
15: Tell me what you see, Jimmy.
16: Here is star. Five places at point. Jimmy. Boss. Woman. Ma'am.
15: What's the fifth point? The white death. So, what do you read in these signs, Jimmy?
16: One die. Only one. Which? It is not dead. What
15: happens to the others?
16: The spirits say that depend who die. Not good. Oh, Better we turn back. I don't think we could, even if we
15: wanted to. We're all chartered on collision course. Everyone riding his own private route to disaster. We might as well play the game out.
16: Man cannot fight the great spirit. He say who died. No way it may change.
15: Okay, whatever you say, Jimmy. Just the same, I still think I can take care of myself with everything. Except... Right.
16: Yes.
15: Too right. That's between the shark and me. If I ever track him down. It was well on into the day before either of our charter friends stirred up. And then it was J.H. Burden, still drunk with a head to match, dragging himself up to the shock tower to sit by me.
16: Sir, how's the Australian
15: lover this morning? Didn't you hear me, Aussie? I heard you, J.H. Maybe I just didn't read you. Oh, we're gonna play a little uptight. Huh? i tell you what I'm going to do, Mr. Burden. I'm going to try to disregard you. Otherwise, I might be tempted to knock your head off. Drunk as sober, I can handle you, cripple. You've got a foul mouth. I'm in a foul temper. What the same hill went on between you and my wife while I was missing? Not one ready thing. What's the pity. You better be right about that, chum, or I'll nail your carcass to your trance. I don't take too well to threats, J.H. I ride you, why don't you call me? If we weren't riding some heavy sea right now, I might just do that. Then again, I might just turn around and head back into port. You will shout on me, boy, and I'll sue you for breach of contract till this boat of yours rots wide on the beach. I'll take you to get your marlin, and once you've landed him, maybe I'll take your measure for once in all. I might just look forward to that. I'm going below to fetch my own gear. When I fish. I want to be sure I can trust everything I handle. It helps sometimes to trust the crew behind you. I don't need you or your boy except the gaff and landle. I'll pull them in. Just you find them for me so I can hook them. I was mad enough to chew nails. But I didn't want to have a showdown with J. H. Yet. That would wait until after the charter, and he'd paid me. Besides, I did have a bit of a guilty conscience. The way I felt about Eve. After all, she was his wife. I didn't want to think anymore. I wanted action.
16: Jimmy? Yes, yes. boss? Get yourself up here. Jimmy, come make it. It's I'm staying here now. Is the Missy awake? Yes, boss. She'll sit by big fish kid Oh, uh, yes. Good. I want you to fix her and her man some brunch.
15: You can bring me some food up here to the bridge. Then I want you to set out five lines. Two for stern-trolling, both outriggers, and the heavy duty for the chair. Yes, but... All right, hop to it.
16: Better we not fish. Better we thunder.
15: If I don't get him a money, we're out one charter, Jimmy. I want my money.
16: Better be alive, man. And which one?
15: What are you reading now, Jimmy?
16: We keep going. Someone dive us. Who? It is not give to Jim to know where to point the bone. Or just don't point it at me or Eve or yourself. It is not my power. That honor and great spirit. Better
15: we go back. But... I'm sorry, Jimmy. No can do. This time I've got to pit my gut hunch against your superstition. Something tells me to go on and take my chances. Now you go fix some food. <laughs> We were running a pretty heavy quartering sea and I had my hands full for a moment. I did glance down and saw Jimmy talking to Eve but then my attention was on handling the boat till we fought through the chop. And it was a surprise to realize suddenly that Eve had joined me topside. Good
17: morning, Gunnar. morning, Eve. Jimmy tells me we're going to do some
15: fishing this afternoon. That's the plan. Seems like a right idea since that's what the charter is all about.
17: Jimmy doesn't seem to think so.
15: Jimmy should felt up. He's been filling you full of his superstitions.
17: He doesn't have to scare me about this trip. It never should have started. Maybe the old fear of a woman being aboard ship bringing trouble is more than superstition. I look at it differently. I think it's all fate. I'm scared of what that could mean, Jimmy. Me. Why? You don't know Jay. He'll never believe there wasn't anything between us. But there was. And it is. That isn't what I'm talking about. And anyway, in the hard light of day, it's something to forget.
15: Perhaps not. Once we feed your pig his big fish,
17: I have to think of Chris.
15: Anytime I want to go back to the market, I can make all the money that's needed for your brother.
17: You'd do that for me. What about the great white shark?
15: A man can trade one dream for another. Maybe your Cacharadon doesn't loom so large anymore.
17: You'd never be sure. Well, let me decide that. And Jay will never give me up. He'll kill you first, or have you killed. We'll cross those bridges when we come to them.
15: First, I'll let him find his fish. I gave my word on that. The next three days, I left it all to business. We pulled in a grab bag of smaller shark, some marlin we cut off the hook, And one 800-pounder we towed in and landed on the reef. But we were still hunting the big game. And J.H. was getting dicier and dicier about it. After weighing out the 800-pounder, we were walking back toward the dock. You don't want to record him. Hell, that's just bait, old J.H. boy. I'm looking for what you promised me. Something from 12 to 1500. I I don't remember promising you that. (laughs) Just by being who you are, it's what you led me to expect. But time is winding up, boy. I only got maybe a couple more days. You going to deliver? I don't know how I'd answer that, J.H., except for something Jimmy told me. Oh, what do I care what some old fool has to say? Jimmy is my friend. All right, all right. So what did Jimmy tell you? That this last trip we will catch the big fish. How does he know? He defined it, sensed it. And you believe him? I believe it. But that's not all he defined. What else? With the fish comes death. Far whom? He doesn't know. You want to risk it. Dumb superstition by an old man? You gotta be kidding. Come on, Gunner, we got lots to do. First we catch my fish. Then we settle some scores. We put out to sea again. But it looks as if we were in a run of bad luck. J.H. was drinking again. And just about to throw a willy. When on the second day, we made the strike. It came on the main line out of the chair. And it hit like a ton of bricks bucketing off to nowhere at the speed of an express train. Man, oh man, maybe you didn't con me after all, boy. I've hit the big one. Let him run before you take the strain on that line. Don't oh, tell me how to fish. hard of port, Jimmy. Don't let him follow the stage. He... He's looping back. Can you handle him? Don't you worry about me. Just don't let him get under the boat and
16: carry away my line. Watch him, Jimmy. I see Jimmy, don't let him
17: What is it, Gunner? The big moron. It looks as if It's, hey, look it's What? Give me a hand, quick. I've got to get into my tanks and scuba gear. Oh, what for? Don't ask questions. Just help me. Can you hold him,
15: J.H.? Don't you worry about me. Go. Oh, J.H. ain't letting this big boy get away.
17: What is it, Gunner? Give me that strap.
15: What is it? Well, oh, I've been waiting for six years to come up again.
17: Not, not the shark.
15: Right there. When it's breaking water. You see that fin? And the marker on it? If I had time to put the sonar on it, you'd hear the bleeping.
17: What are you planning to do?
15: Hey! That's no marlin's. I'm kind of sure. That's right. Not your fish, but mine. What in the same hell do you mean, not my fish? I'm out here on charter, and I'm paying for it. This is my fish. No one's taking it away from That's me. That's where you're wrong. What are you doing with that knife? Now I'm suited up. I'm going to cut your line, and then it's just between me and white right death. There, I'm cutting
16: my line. This is my fish. Hey, don't be a damn fool. With me, you've been squaloring for this. Give me that no, knife. Jay, look out for the line! I oh, my foot. He's pulled me into water. <laughs>
15: Stand out of the way, Eve. Let me cut the line. What are you going to do? I'm
17: going into the water after him. I went down into the water. The end of the cut line in my hand. The tension was suddenly gone. Which meant the shark was circling. Striking back at J.H. Trapped by the line coiled around his ankle. That's when we came. Face, to face. The shark, all 24
15: feet of him, sliding by the bloody hook. Fixed firmly in his jaw, my red marker clamped to his fin, the enemy I'd stalked for six years. Was he within my reach to rip out his vitals and exact my revenge, or did something hold me back, some feeling of territorial imperative, that these were his waters and I was the invader, that he was wronged and I the wronger? I don't know. I only know that my chance was gone. And it was up to me to decide if this was the end of the hunt or if a new one should begin.
17: I'm sorry, Eve. But he was dead before the shark turned on him. I wish I could say I'm sorry. But it just seems like fate.
15: Jimmy read all the signs, right.
17: What about the shark and you?
15: We've closed our bargain. I don't want any more from him. And I hope he's had all he wants of me. I reckon I'm a free soul again.
17: <laughs> Not for a moment. You think you're ever going to get away from me? <laughs> That's the advantage of being caught lame.
15: I'd never be able to run that fast. We shrink in terror from the flashing teeth, the grinding jaws. But the shark has no animus; It doesn't hate us. If we invade his kingdom, we must realize that he doesn't bring the danger. We accept it and bring it upon ourselves. So we take all precautions, of course, and protect ourselves if need be. And hope that the nearest any of us have to get to the great white shark is not in his medium but only through the medium of a tale such as this. I'll be back shortly. It was Francis Bacon, the famous philosopher, who said, Revenge is a kind of wild justice which the more man's nature runs to, the more the law ought to weed it out. Certainly it is a bitter settlement, if exacted, and twists the man who does. Gunner Trent was fortunate that instead of finding it, he found love instead. He was one of God's fools, which means he was the luckiest of men. Our cast included Michael Tolan, Ian Martin, and Joan Lovejoy. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by True Value Hardware Stores and Contact, the 12-hour cold capsule. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.
0: Price of Fear, starring Vincent Price, was a BBC old-time radio show produced in 1973 and 1974 and are simply fantastic. The host, as well as the star of the show, was the master, Vincent Price himself. The show stands out in Price's radio career as some of the episodes are based on fictional adventures of Price himself as he breaks the fourth wall and becomes part of the story. Twenty-two episodes were produced in all. The writing credits for the series include William Ingram, Stanley Ellen, Richard Davis, R. Chetwind Hayes, A. M. Barrage, Elizabeth Morgan, Renee Balasco, Ronald Dahl, and Vincent himself. Peter Cushing even makes an appearance in one of the episodes. Just simply fantastic, creepy, and what you'd expect from the master, Vincent Price, on The Price of Fear.
18: Price of Fear, brought to you by Vincent Price.
19: Hello there. Do you like fish? To eat, I mean, not to look at or catch. Well, I do. I am, in fact, one of the world's most compulsive piscivores. I find there is an almost ritual purity about fish. The Japanese, you know, eat their fish raw. "'shredding and flaking the flesh "'and dipping it into piquant sauces, "'soya, horseradish, that sort of thing. "'The effect can be delicious, "'a delicate point and counterpoint, "'air and descant, plucking at the palate. "'The taste can be exquisite, "'and yet if you should think too hard "'about those raw, gelatinous strips of fish, "'you may find the feel of them, "'the sight of them even, is somehow obscene. But then my attitude in these matters is colored by a most unnerving experience I underwent in Australia. I'll call this story simply fish, because as each stage of the episode unfolded, it was impressed on my memory by some piscatorial piece of gastronomic delight. It started in a Sydney restaurant about five years ago with a dozen of the celebrated rock oysters with lemon and cayenne pepper and all the usual trimmings. I was lunching with a young Australian, Greg Rossmark, an aspiring actor who wanted to come to work in London. We were just debating whether another half-dozen would be sheer bliss or pure greed, when suddenly...
9: Vincent? It is Vincent, isn't it? Vincent Price?
19: Well, yes.
9: Jane Willemsey? No, I don't suppose you remember. But we did once actually work on a, a film together.
19: Well, yes, I, I believe I do remember. It, it
9: was a long time ago.
19: At Elstree, wasn't it?
9: That's right.
19: I strangled you. Didn't you? <laughs> oh, what a charming fellow. Oh, but I only strangle <laughs> the nicest people. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jane. Let me introduce you to Greg, Greg Rossmark. He's also an actor, an eminently unsuccessful one. Hello.
9: How do you do?
18: Won't you join us?
9: No, no, thank you very much. I must be going.
18: Are you uh, working over here now, Miss uh, Willemsey, in the theatre, I mean?
9: Oh No. No, the theatre gave me out for dead, right after Vincent strangled me.
19: Oh, well, <laughs> I, I can't believe that I was that realistic. <laughs> it was
9: probably just symbolic of something or other.
18: Don't you miss it? The, uh, theater?
9: Maybe. But you can't have everything, can you?
19: Sure you won't join us, though. There seems so much we might talk about. No,
9: no, really, I can't. Richard's already waiting at the table, and he's due to start glowering any moment now. Oh, that's
19: a shame.
9: Look, how long are you here for? Oh,
19: just a week or so. I start filming in Hong Kong at the end of the month.
9: Uh, why don't you come over to lunch with us on Sunday? Well, I... We're only over at Manley, and I'm a much better cook than I ever was an actress.
18: <laughs> well, um, I'd uh, love to come. Uh, oh. Well, very well, then we'll both come.
9: Oh, oh well, Fine. <laughs> Well, uh, it's number 6, Sandy Avenue. It's right on the beach. You can't miss it.
19: Right till Sunday, then.
9: Any (laughs) time after 12? We'll
19: be there.
18: (laughs) Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Lovely woman. I do apologize, Vincent. Whatever for? Pawning in on your invitation like that. It uh,
19: obviously threw you. Well, I suppose it did. I just wasn't expecting it so much.
18: No, neither was she. I was, uh. I was trying to stampede you into accepting. Well, you succeeded admirably. I, I don't see why, though. Well, I thought that you were going to refuse. Well, would that have been so disastrous? Not to you, maybe, but it, uh. It might have been
19: to her. But I don't see how it could have been. I haven't seen her for years, and I barely knew her
18: even there. Yes, I know, I know, but there's just something about her. It's, uh. Well, it's sort of difficult to put your finger on, but the eyes were out of phase with the voice. All the while she was talking, the eyes looked, um, well, they looked hunted. Oh,
19: come on, Greg, don't let your imagination run away with
18: you. Imagination be damned. Imagination?
19: What is imagination? A mental trick. A simple piece of sleight of mind that projects facts into fantasy, or fantasies into fact. Anyway, the following Sunday, Greg picked me up at my hotel and drove us out across the Sydney Harbour Bridge towards the North Shore and Manly.
18: The other day in the restaurant, Vincent, when Jane Willemsey introduced herself, uh... Did you really remember her right off, just oh, like that?
19: Yes, yes, she wasn't the sort of woman you'd forget easily, especially after her performance in that film. Was she good? In it, very good. On it, positively scandalous. Are you serious? Oh, yes, quite literally so. <laughs> she brought the picture to a grinding halt about halfway through the schedule.
18: <laughs> well, how'd she manage that? She ran off
19: with the director.
8: <laughs> oh,
19: yes, yeah, she took off just like that. Left us, her husband, everybody, flat and just took off. (laughs) Believe me, it was no laughing matter. (laughs) Oh, it couldn't have been. (laughs) Well, at least it wasn't at that time. (laughs) We had to get a new director in and a new lady for me to strangle. (laughs) And we reshot every scene that Jane had been in. Oh, it was an absolute nightmare. And, uh, and what happened to her, uh, Jane? Well, she just disappeared. They both did. Off the set, out of the business, off the face of the earth, for all I knew. Her husband hired some inquiry agents to find them, and for a few weeks we were all up to our ears in private eyes. (laughs) I sometimes wonder why he bothered it. Could hardly have come as a surprise to him, not with a woman like that. A woman like uh, what? Well, she was younger then, of course, a lot more arrogant. She seemed to generate a sort of... uh, sexual electricity. She had an almost animal magnetism that could
18: devastate a man. I'll tell you something, Vincent. She still got it. I wonder what her husband's like.
19: Well, more important, I wonder if he's a film director <laughs> or, or even an ex-film director. <laughs> I guess we'll soon find out. We did, and he wasn't a film director. Jane's husband turned out to be a broker on the Sydney Stock Exchange, but even that turned out to be more of a sideline. His real occupation was swimming, surfing, yachting, all the classic activities of the professional outdoor type. Richard was a good outdoor cook, too. And what he could do with an open fire was beyond belief. It's coming on nicely. Won't be long, Vincent. You always eat fresco like this, Richard? <laughs> uh, we only make a thing of it at the weekend. Well, I can think of worse ways of
15: passing the time.
9: Erase your back! Right, uh,
15: come, on.
1: Come, on, come, on. come on!
9: Come on! Nice to see
15: Jane enjoying herself so much.
9: Oh, <laughs> God! I'm exhausted. Uh, well, I'm not
15: surprised.
9: Whew. The
15: surf takes it out of you, especially when you're not used to it.
9: Greg was, oh, he was teaching me to ride the surf.
19: <laughs> yes, I saw. Greg, what's that marking?
18: What? Where? Uh, out there on your leg. Oh, oh, that, that's a birthmark. Oh,
19: I'm sorry. (laughs) It's all right, (laughs) it's
18: almost a family crest. It occurs at least once in every generation in our family.
9: What, always in the same place?
18: No, but it's usually on an arm or a leg somewhere, and it's always, but always the same shape. You see? An open rose.
9: Oh, yes. (sighs) Now you pointed out, it is like a rose.
18: My uncle, my grandfather, theirs were identical. That's
9: extraordinary.
18: How, How far does that go back? Well, you see, my family's name is uh, Rosmark, and huh. I suppose originally it was uh, Rosemark. but, uh, well, God knows when that started. Yes.
9: Well, that really does smell delicious, Richard.
18: It's coming on. What is it? Inside the tinfoil, I mean. Hmm? It's a whole baked tie. Is that uh, that fish that looked like a snapper? In fact, it is a snapper, but uh, I always call it
15: Thai if I'm
18: doing a Japanese style. There's no great difference, anyway. Uh, I thought the Japanese always ate their fish raw. This is one case where they don't.
9: It really is very good eating. Richard carves it off in great chunks and you dip it in the shoyu sauce.
19: Well, I can hardly wait. Tell me, where on earth did you learn to... Cook food, Japanese style, Richard. Hmm? Oh. <laughs> I find any style of cooking absolutely fascinating. Uh,
15: we were taught this by a party of Japanese stockbrokers that we took fishing. Hmm?
19: What, what sort of fishing?
15: Tuna, barracuda, marlin,
18: if you're lucky. Oh, the big game bits, huh?
9: Richard has his own boat down the coast at Burma Gooey.
18: We charter it out most of the time, but uh, we reserve a few odd weeks for ourselves. You go fishing, Jane?
9: No.
18: He prefers to stay here. Hmm, I can imagine. It must be a far cry from Elstree to Burmagoey. Don't drag all that up, Rosamark, for Pete's sake. Drag all
15: what up? The theatre, the bright lights and all that crap. She's much better off where she is. Aren't you, Jane?
9: Yes.
19: Did, uh, did you two know each other before... Uh, before uh, what? Well, before... before Jane gave up the theater.
15: uh, Why, yes, of course. I married her when she was still a a drama student. And in the end, it was me who made her give it all up. Wasn't it, darling?
19: I could hardly believe it. This was the husband that she had left on her runaway romance. What could have happened... Had he found her, or had she come back to him? And what about the flyaway film director? What had happened to him? (laughs) Well, when I got back to London, I mentioned his name around a few times to see if I got any response. I didn't. People remembered him, but no one had seen or heard of him since. He had run off with that uh, actress, as they put it. (laughs) They'd both run off, of course, but only Jane had come back. I wondered. So dark a thought, so dark a thought, it lodged unnoticed in the shadows of my memory until last year, when I went back to Australia, back to Sydney. Perhaps it was the same unnoticed thought that made me phone the one time Jane Willemsey and her husband and to invite them both to dinner. I remember the occasion well. We had a quite extraordinary Australian hock with a quite excellent lobster a la Morica.
9: How long will you be in Australia this time, Vincent? Oh,
19: only a few more days, then I go to Japan for eight weeks of filming. Might come back here after that, though, just for a short vacation trip.
9: Oh, well, then you must come up to stay with us in Brisbane. It'd be lovely to see you in... Yes, uh, didn't Richard tell you?
15: But tell me why, Richard? We're moving house. To,
9: to Brisbane.
15: Uh, just outside, actually. But why?
9: Richard has decided to retire.
19: Retire? That's a bit premature, Richard. Surely you must be at least twenty. Years yes, but there's
15: him. no point in waiting till you're too old to enjoy yourself, is there now? Well, what will you do in Brisbane?
9: Fish, mostly.
15: I've sold my business interests here in Sydney and invested in a couple of boats. So powerful engines, properly fitted out, you know, chair, rods, harpoons, flotation barrels, a lot. We could take anything. Sailfish, black marlin, the big sharks, the
19: tigers and the great whites. Yes, but why do you go all the way up to Brisbane? I mean, why not stay in Bermagooey?
9: That was Richard's decision.
15: The uh, charter rates are much higher up in Queensland. Ah, oh. Better fishing all the year round, too.
9: Richard's going to skipper one of the boats himself.
15: Well, what will you do, Jane?
9: I'm sure there'll be a great deal to keep me occupied. Uh,
15: You'll
19: probably enjoy it once you get settled in.
9: We'll see. Have you seen Greg?
19: Greg? Oh, Greg Rossmark, you mean. Now, now, uh, did he ever go to London? You know, I gave him my address and everything, and... No, he didn't go. Why not?
15: Well, who can tell with a bloke like that?
19: Have you seen anything of him recently?
9: No. Yes. Uh, not recently.
19: Uh, how is he? Why? Is he working?
9: Uh, no, no. Um, he, he gave up the theatre.
19: After dinner, I saw them to their car with a promise that I would visit them in Brisbane on my return from Japan. I watched them out of sight and turned to walk down to my hotel in the cool night air. Suddenly I became quite chillingly aware that someone was walking almost at my shoulder, following me. I found myself looking for his reflection in the glass of the shop windows. I saw a suit that had once been smart. But the face was turned undeviatingly away from the reflection, looking, no, staring. I could feel it, staring at me. The compulsion to run was overwhelming, but so was the feeling that he would run after me. I stopped. Suddenly I had to turn and face him out.
18: Vincent. It is Vincent, isn't it, Vincent Price? Yes. Do you remember me? Greg. Greg. With the rosemark on his leg. Greg, Greg
19: Rosemark. Of course, I hardly recognized you.
18: Huh. Are you all right? Let's just say that I'm uh, sort of sick. You were with her, weren't you? You mean Jane. Yes, I I've just
19: had dinner with her and Richard.
18: Yes, I saw you. Did she mention me? Well, she said she hadn't seen you recently. No, no. He won't let her, not since he found out. Found out? Uh,
19: well, is that why you never went to England?
18: <laughs> yes. It, uh, happened again. You see, we, uh... Oh, you wouldn't understand.
19: You mean you ran away together? No.
18: Everything... But that's funnily enough. She wouldn't come with me. She. she was frightened. Frightened of what? Of him, of course. She's terrified of him. Uh, then, when he found out about us, she refused to see me again. She sends my letters back unopened. Every time I phone, she uh, bursts into tears and uh, keeps saying. Well, moaning. Stay away, for God's sake. Uh, stay away from me. Oh, the way she says it, uh, it tears the heart out of you. And I—no, it's—it's not what she wants to say. I can tell. Greg, maybe she's right. Oh no, otherwise he—he uh, he wouldn't be taking her away from here, far away, where he thinks I won't follow. <laughs> Well, he's wrong. You can tell him from me that he's wrong. I'll follow wherever he takes her. I'll follow to the ends of the earth if need be. You tell her that will you? To the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth.
19: He shuffled off backwards into the night until the shadows seemed to engulf him completely leaving me with only the recollection of the desperation in his eyes and the strained emotion of his voice. As I turned into my hotel, I knew that I would need a vacation after my work in Japan had finished, knew that I wanted to try my hand at big game fishing, and so Nine weeks later, I found myself on the open patio of Jane and Richard's new house, eating homemade croissant and drinking fresh ground coffee in the pale sunshine of an early morning in Queensland.
9: Like some more coffee, Vincent? Oh,
19: please. And, by the way, I congratulate you on your croissant. They're delicious. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you can face the day with just that inside of you. It's a woman's breakfast. Well, I certainly couldn't face a day at sea with a stomach full
15: of bacon, sausage, eggs. (laughs) (laughs) And tomato. Don't forget the tomato. It keeps the corpuscles coming the right color. At least, that's what my old granny
19: used to say. Well, mine said they gave you appendicitis. Have
9: you ever been fishing before, (laughs) Vincent?
19: No. No, I never seem to have had the time. And I've never been
15: convinced that I had the patience. I I know what you mean, but... um, this is nothing like ordinary angling. You see, you don't just sit around and wait for the fish to come. You have to go out and look for them.
19: Well, you have to know where to look, presumably. Well, I seem to know where to look for... shark.
9: Richard's landed more sharks in the past fortnight than anyone can remember. He's making quite a name for himself.
19: What's, uh, uh, what
15: kind of sharks do you get in these waters? Oh, all the worst sorts, uh, or best sorts, according to your point of view. Tigers... Mako, hammerheads. I've even taken a couple of whites. Uh, small ones, of course, but... But even the small ones. A man-eaters. Well, what happens if you meet a big one? I <laughs> <laughs> think you've got a fight on your hand. Now that could be real sport. Uh, yes. Well, I'll uh, I'll just go and load up a oh, car. I'll give you a hand. Uh, uh, uh,
9: Richard will see to it. You, you finish your coffee in peace. Uh, yeah.
18: You you stay put. I know where everything goes.
9: Vincent, I... What? I don't know. I, I wanted to ask you something. Ask. Have you seen anything of Greg?
19: I saw him that night that I had dinner with you both in Sydney.
9: Not since then?
19: No. Why?
9: Did he say anything about me?
19: Well, he did say he'd follow you.
9: Follow me here?
19: Anywhere. To the ends of the earth. That's what he said.
9: Oh, God, no, not again.
19: What's the matter?
9: He's here. He's in Brisbane.
19: You've seen him?
9: Well, he phoned me.
19: When was that?
9: Uh, two. No, n- nearly three weeks ago.
19: And you haven't heard from him since?
9: No. I-, I told him to keep away, to go back to Sydney and forget me.
19: Well, perhaps he did.
9: Do you really think so? Do you? No. Come on, Vincent.
15: Time to get moving. Why did not you come, Jane? There's only us two fishing. You could try your hand.
9: No, thanks. Anyway, I want to go into town today. What for? Well, uh, you need more socks for a start. And maybe another shirt.
18: Oh. Yeah, okay. Uh, drive carefully.
9: I will. Have a good day. You too, Vincent
19: have a good day, have a good week, have a good year, have a good life. What does it mean? As if you can wish anything on anyone, or induce even the most marginal change in patterns of events that have been irrevocably precast in the unyielding concrete of too many yesterdays. A good day it was, then, in the sense that the Sky was blue, and the sun was warm, and the swell of the ocean was at its most Pacific. Good boat, and a good crew in the shape of Jack, a laconic ex swagman from the Northern Territories. All it needed was good fish. I wish that had been all we'd got.
15: Patience, Mr. Price. That's what's needed out here. But they're not biting today, Jack. I will. They always do. Give the bag another bang, Jack. Right-o. up. <laughs> is that thing? A dubby bag. <clears throat> a bee bag. Yeah, just hang it over the side of the boat and uh-huh. it leaves a trail behind you for miles. As soon as anything finds it, it turns and follows it right onto the hook. Uh-huh. <laughs> At least that's the theory. <laughs> what have you got inside it? It's what we call chum. That's a sort of a polite way of saying smelly bits of fish and meat and awful. Especially awful. Anything that'll lose blood and oil into the water. Yeah, <laughs> you're beginning to sound like a film, I know. <laughs> <laughs> fish don't know that, do they? They just follow their noses.
19: Well, I wonder what'll turn up
15: today. Shark. That's all he seems to be interested
19: well, in. Well, he'll have to take what comes, though, won't he? I mean, he can't pick and choose. Well, he does. At least he seems to. Well, how can he? That's just not possible. You can't just whistle up which fish you want. No, but uh,
15: you can't take all the bait fish out of the dubby bag and just leave bloody meat in there. Then what you put into the water is not so much an oil slick as a blood trail. Uh, That'll bring the sharks running. But
19: but you know, Jack, I don't understand this obsession of his with sharks. I really don't. You can't say I do.
15: Ah, they're not as good as Marlin, a sailfish. They don't have the heart. Remember ah, the skipper's set on fighting the big, great white? Well, I only hope that's not a death wish. We've got a visitor, Jack. What's that? Ah, a big one. what is it? Tiger.
18: About ten foot of him. Oh. Better get into the chair, Mr. Yes, Price. Yes,
1: sir. There we go. Right.
15: Hurry up. He's circling for the Ooh, strike. steady. Yeah. Here he comes. Okay. Now, let him run. He's only holding on to it. yet. Uh, uh-huh. Don't strike until he stops and starts to bite on it. Right. And strike hard and don't stop to pick the daisies. <laughs> I'll tell you when. Okay. He's slowed. Uh, Wait for it. Uh-huh. He's turning. Now, hit him! <laughs> My
1: goodness, will <were> you <laughs> <a> turn? <laughs> oh. What... For? What
19: happened? The line broke. Oh, what was the breaking
15: strain on that line? Uh, Around one thousand pounds. That was some fish you had there, Vincent. Shall I rig another hook? Yeah, Jack, might as well. Well, do you think he's still around?
18: Uh, Depends if he's
15: still got the hook in him. Hey! Hey, there he is! Where? Right under the stern. Oh,
19: what's he doing that for? He's circling. Why?
15: We've got nothing else. Here he comes! He's going to attack the boat. Hold on, this horse He's crazy. He's mad as a yeah. bloody madam.
8: Hey, get the harpoon! Oh. I've got it. Get off! You crazy bastard! Get off! What the
15: hell was all that about? <laughs>
19: I've never known that happen before. before. Whatever it was, I'd prefer it not to happen again.
15: It's the truth. He was after the dubby bag. What? Say for yourself.
19: We looked over the stern of the boat. The shark had indeed attacked the dubby bag. He'd torn over half of it away from its rope. The gristly, gory bait, or chum, as Jack called it, was already dispersing through the water. And then I saw the canvas, a shredded piece of the bag that had been torn away from the rest. It was floating precariously just below the surface of the water. On it was a piece of meat, a small piece of meat with a yellowish bloodied skin. And on the skin was a mark, a distinctive mark in the shape of an open rose. Then the movement of the sea washed it off its canvas raft and committed it forever to the deep. Well, next time you eat fish, you may care to remember this little episode, but I hope it doesn't put you off. I'm uh, still a committed piscivore, with the single exception that I will never, never eat fish and chips in Australia. (laughs) Flake and chips, as they call it. It's a great favorite out there, but flake, of course, is shark meat. Goodbye. Bon appétit.
18: That was Vincent Price bringing you The Price of Fear with Bruce Beebe, Louis Feander Amanda Murray, and Bill Kerr. This story, Fish, was first recounted and dramatized by Rennie Basilico and produced by John Dice.
0: Have a good evening, and come back again next week. This has been Bill Holwig from West Texas for Broken Sea Audio Productions. www.brokensea.com Good evening. <laughs> Good the music for tonight's episode was composed by Brian of Seraphic Panoply and Stevie Barnaby.
8: Within, the world was dying. The brazen base races of man gave birth to ages where greed for gain and violence flourished. Where honor and nobility were profaned, while lies and unrestrained consumption were made sacred. Scars covered the mother of thunder. What once was wild was now tamed and sickened. The light of the unconquered sun turned bloated and red, and its blood flowed freely. And mankind continued to hasten its own death. Amidst the obsidian towers, hoar haunted wastelands, and shadowed tombs of this aged world, those who looked behind the tattered sorrows woke to the sounds of steel on steel, and knew now was the time when mankind would either fall to its own insignificance or become as them, beyond the boundaries of dualities, freed from the shackles of their baseness and their forgotten nobility. Without and within, the world was dying. And among the Tatars, crimson things began to move.
0: What do you want from me, Lorak? Just a sorcerer. (laughs) Nothing more. I'm a Bone Master. What part of Necromancer confuses you? Axelwreck, what the hell are those? Blood Silics, there are as many of them as all the people you've killed in your life. This isn't good. I think a finger bone will do very nicely here. Don't
3: try talking to me, you evil demon spawn. I'm protected by the Harbingers. No one said death was fair.
4: The storm might be a problem though. The
0: storm?
4: Yes, there are things in the storm. But it might cover our tracks as well.
0: It is a ghost storm, isn't it?
4: Horrible gods and the sorrows I
9: Some of us see opportunity
3: in what is forbidden. The tattered sorrows weep here.
8: Only those belonging to the
4: crimson tatters can pass. Before we fall, we'll make them terrified of us.
0: You sound like you have a plan. Tell me you have a plan. You said you hoped I'm as good as they say I am. Well, here's where you find out. Ha! Broken Sea Audio presents The Sword of the Crimson Tatters, an original sword and sorcery audio drama created and produced by Lothar Tuppen. Only at BrokenSea.com